What do you think football book is doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelizzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, 7 a.m. on a Monday morning. Time to review all things week 11 in the NFL. Yeah, and the opening game of the World Cup. Are you going to cover that? I'm not. No. Okay. We have other people, though, here at PFF that will. True. There's, right? there's uh, you know, round ball soccer content on the website. There PFF. is. PFF.com. PFF.com. Check it out. Using data, not just, you know, random, like, hey, I saw the World Cup game. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some real stuff happening. But uh, it's football season, man. No World Cup during football season. It's the NFL. But there is one now, this year. Yeah. Because, because apparently we put it in the desert, so it can't be in the summer. You can't do it in the summer. No. Anyway, yeah, enjoy the World Cup or whatever this week. <laughs> Let's talk some football. Yeah, if anybody's going to watch that thing, yeah. that tournament thing. Uh-huh. Let's talk some football. Okay. Week 11. Let's get right through it. We get a meeting at 9, see if we can get out of here. Well, that's not going to happen. No. Well, we'll see. First and foremost, hang on. Before you go anywhere, uh, we need an update on how successful the coin flipping was. Not sure we do. Oh, I think we do. Because. Well, it's good. I can blame the coin at least. The good news is it was better than you picking the games yourself. Uh, You picking games using your own intelligence and logic had four wins yesterday. The coin had five wins in a, what did I say, 13-game schedule? 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-game schedule. So five wins out of 14. 357. Oh, sorry, 13, because we haven't had Monday night. So, yeah, that's not great. 385. Yeah. It's bad. Bad, in fact. Yeah. Now, it's, you know, we covered the maths on it last week. It's within the margins of error for a, a small sample size coin flip. It's still bad. So I didn't get my uh, I didn't get my scoregami for ten either. Nope. No, you didn't. Yeah. No. Another bad week. Another bad week. I'm like the opposite of the Vikings. It, mm. Just bad. No wins to show for it. I mean, I'm just saying, using picking the opposite of whatever you pick is still the most powerful sporting edge available to be really is gambling you, today. What would the bankroll be? <laughs> Monsters. Uh, can we just get to the games? Can we get to the games? Now we can, yeah. All right, let's get to all the action here. We always have to go back to Thursday night football, at least for a minute. Tennessee Titans 27, Green Bay Packers 17. Titans move to 7-3. and three. Packers fall to 4-7. and seven. Uh, Packers were coming off that big comeback against the Dallas Cowboys the previous week, but... The exploding whale. The exploding whale game, but you made a, a, an astute point. After the whale explodes against the Dallas Cowboys... Then it's done. That's it. Mm-hmm. It has exploded. Only explodes once. As has the Packers season, as they're four and seven. Yeah. Though, so the Packers do appear to be toast, <laughs> but Christian Watson is going to catch 87 touchdowns this year. He is. The Watson bet, wherever that was, we'll have to dig that up. Two more touchdowns for Watson. Um, Packers fall behind. And he, went, then... he went from zero touchdowns to leading all rookies in the space of six days. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. But that's all. That's like the highlight of the Packers' season right now. Yes. Hey, we found a 
found a good a good player in Christian Watson. I mean, to be fair, it's a pretty important one on the basis that lack of wide receivers is by far their most crippling problem. Yeah. Anyway, it was a good game. Titans get out early. It was a little back and forth, but the Ryan Tannehill had a big game. You know, they just uh, Derrick Henry didn't get a ton going on the ground. Um, they had spurts. They had spurts of running the ball pretty well, Tennessee. But Tannehill was was excellent. Finished twenty two of twenty seven for three thirty three. But it was those tight window throws. Uh, beautiful touchdown to Austin Hooper into tight coverage and everything. So um, Traylon Burks with some big plays, including a random fifty one yarder when the Titans were just running the clock down. Yeah. But uh, Tennessee looked really good once again. And we got a, uh, a Tim Tebow style jump pass from Derrick Henry. Oh, that was it. That was nice. That was that was Henry's biggest contribution actually. Which was was the touchdown pass. That was not. I mean, he was in quite a he- lot of heavy traffic at the point where he attempted that pass. That's how you sell he it. Took it a little bit far, you know. That is how you sell it. Titans incredible in the red zone once again. What was a 15 straight scoring drives with first and yeah. Goal. They screwed it up with the the final. You could kick the needles out. Just exclude. Needles. I don't think you can though. Sure, when you can. When you're running that kind of statistic in the future, the NFL's smart enough to do that. You think? Yeah. I don't think that's true. Yeah, they had one drive for for negative six yards or yeah, something. Yeah, so they like had that. scored on 15 straight, or had scored a touchdown on 15 straight red zone possessions, and then obviously got the final red zone possession and kneeled the game out. Yeah. So that's no longer 15 straight. Well, no, it is 15 straight. It's just not 16 straight. Yeah. But that's a wild, like the Titans are, they pulled up a a stat that they were top five in, you know, red zone scoring percentage for like the last four straight years. The thing that you're not supposed to be particularly consistent at, the Titans are absurdly consistent at, which is probably goes a long way towards explaining why nobody can ever figure out the Titans. I think there's, I think those are the reasons why there's, there's five or six coaching edges in the NFL. You know, like I think, I think Belichick's, Going out on a limb here. I think Belichick's been one through the years. <laughs> I think Andy Reid huh. has been one, right? There's 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 a handful of coaches that have been an edge. And Vrabel, as we've talked about on the show a little bit, has kind of put himself in that bucket. And yeah. is that just the totality of being able to execute in the red zone? However, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, they're doing it this year even without great personnel. Even when all their best right. players are hurt, they're still executing in the red zone. So um, credit the Titans. Aaron Rodgers kind of a rough fourth quarter just missing open throws all over the place so um yeah question marks remain in green bay tennessee keeps keeps winning man they were so close against the chiefs a couple weeks ago they would have been in the driver's seat for that number one seed once again but they're right there at seven and three it's roger's great failing is he does not become more aggressive when his team's trailing and they need to come back like he just plays like rogers still which is usually good but you need like the the game situation dictates a change in quarterback aggressiveness. You know, if you're down multiple scores, you can't really keep playing the game as if you're level. You know, you have yeah. to change a little bit. And this it's, is it's that that curve where the more desperate the situation, the more desperate the play from the quarterback should be generally. And that's that sort of natural curve that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are always intuitively right on the line of best fit. Rodgers isn't. Like Rogers kind of stays where Rogers is. Yeah, I mean, he he just had that one play, big long, uh, big second down. He takes a sack when he's got it's one on one coverage. You just have to like take a chance, and he ends up taking a big sack. Um, we've mentioned those numbers before. If you're just looking at fourth quarter comebacks, and I know again last week Rogers had an incredible uh, comeback, led an incredible comeback for the Packers. But historically, 
Aaron Rodgers ranks among the likes of Kerry Collins, Oof. Brad Johnson, Matt Schaub, Dante Culpepper, and strangely, Philip Rivers. Really bad in uh, comeback situations hmm. as a percentage of opportunity. That's, you know, among the worst in the league back to 1994. So curious part of Rodgers' game. The opposite is true for Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Patrick Mahomes, you know, guys that are in that elite tier of quarterbacks, much like Rodgers, but they find ways to win late in the game. So just something uh, that's always just been a little part of uh, Rodgers' career. Mm. All right, so uh, that's Thursday Night Football. Let's get to the Sunday action. Where shall we start? Where shall we start? Let's go Buffalo 31, Cleveland 23 in Detroit. <laughs> okay. The Bills, they made it out of Buffalo. They did move the game at Didn't the time. Didn't get our snow game. We did not get the snow game. It was as ridiculous as, I mean, good job, forecasters. 77 inches or something like that around Orchard Park. Yeah. Which is a Josh Allen's worth of snow in yeah. like 24 hours. A record, 24-hour snowfall record for New York State, which gets quite a lot of snow Yeah, around the lakes in particular. Yeah, that was impressive. Really was. Like, the, that was the sort of thing. It's like, okay, they're going to move the game. Not because, you know, we don't want a snow game, et cetera, but because, like, the infrastructure trying to get 60,000, 70,000 people to a stadium. Did you realize that as you were lamenting the NFL? I already knew that. I just didn't really care that you much. You didn't care. I yeah. just wanted a snow game, you know, because it looks cool. You tweeted out how you wanted the snow game and the whole yeah. thing, and I'm sure a lot of people liked Sam. Yeah, yeah. You're not thinking of others. A lot of people were mad. Yeah. Um, but the funny part about that was... I also just realized my Twitter timeline doesn't update with your tweets somehow. Yeah, I've... Uh, I blocked you. Um, getting out of Buffalo was an achievement. Like, it's, yeah, okay, we got to move the game. This can't go ahead here. Like, we can't get all these people to the stadium. Okay, but how are we getting the players out of the city is, the, like, the first part, um, which apparently required some sort of, like, military operation from the Bills to, you know, go rounding up guys and literally, like, snowplow their way out of houses and stuff. They're the real MVPs. Yeah, so simply getting the team out of Buffalo and getting them anywhere was, was quite an achievement to, to get this game anywhere. If you're the Bills, who would you accidentally not shovel out? Like, sorry, man, couldn't get to you. Well, that's the downside of having, you know, the best roster in the NFL. There's no obvious guy. Well, yeah. We probably leave him here. There's no leave behind there. Yeah. Um, this was, as I was talking about on the, on the preview show, I said Josh Allen needs a break game. Hmm. And I said... the. Hey, look, I don't get a lot of things right, but every now and again, God knows you don't. We can get the you. game flow correct. And this was, hey, the Browns could be the let's give them a break game. And it was. Yeah. Bills, you know, so this wasn't everything on Josh Allen's shoulders. He was 18 of 27 for 197 and a score. Just simple. So you're therefore declaring this concept as viable now? No, I'm saying there are times that he needs this. Devin Singletary running the ball, and uh, James Cook ran the ball really well. The Browns had a 28 run defense grade as a team, and so there you go. I mean, I think I think you need this every now and again if you're the Bills. Okay. And they got the quick turnaround coming back for Thanksgiving this week. Mm. They got the first game for us uh, going up against the Lions. Uh, the Browns defense is just sad, though. I mean, it's really Miles Garrett and friends. The yeah. way this season has gone. And not even friends at this point. It's Miles Garrett and a bunch of people let him down. True. There's no other friends. No. Um, John Johnson had a good play and a two-point conversion, though. Yeah. This was the first play he's made since arriving in Cleveland, having been one of the best graded safeties for the last, like, four years. Big turning point in this one. Look, there's a 
There's a bunch of just misses from Jacoby Brissett. Brissett played well. Just off. Brissett played really well. Um, and Amari Cooper had one of those games where he shows up and like shows you the kind of impact you can have on an offense. And you're like, okay, good Jacoby Brissett coupled with good Amari Cooper can make this game quite interesting in addition to, you know, Nick Chubb and the rest of the stuff that's going to function for that offense. But that stuff firing early, you're like, okay, like this, this could be closer than it's supposed to be. And then they are, they're what? They're up a touchdown already. The Bills only got a field goal. Now they're second and goal and inches away from a touchdown. And then third and goal, inches away from a touchdown. This one's a drop. It's like, ah, you can't, can't leave those plays on the table. It's going to come back. And it, you know, it came back. Yeah, there was a bunch of those. Then um, one of the key sequences, it's 16 to 10 in the third quarter and third and one in Buffalo territory. So the, the Browns, are, Browns are down six and they have a third and one. They rush to the line for the QB sneak, which is generally a, a good move. Buffalo stuffs it. Jacoby Brissett has been unbelievable in QB sneak situation. So we get stuffed on third and one. They come back to it on fourth and one, get stuffed again. So back-to-back plays, the Bills stuff the quarterback sneak that had been so successful for Jacoby Brissett over the last couple of years. Remember when he was in Miami? We joked about this before, but Miami actually implemented Brissett as the QB sneak yeah. option, right? QB Even when QB. Tua was the starter, they would put Jacoby in to run a QB sneak. That's how good he had been at it. Um, and that was just a huge turning point in this game for Buffalo. Good scouting. What was this somebody tried to say? That that was the uh, the rebrand for analytics. They tweeted at us. It was something like, uh, what was the Bills quote? Did you see that? No. You didn't see the tweet at us? No. Yeah. But don't worry. Take all the time you need to find it. It's good. Good podcast. I don't think I will. Okay. I don't think I will. All right. I did forget to put it in the document here. But anyway. Good job by the Bills stuffing them. But look, my, my takeaway is every now and again, the Bills need to be able to win the game with, with, with people other than Josh Allen. And when you have the advantage up front from a run game perspective, not because the Bills have the best run blocking unit, it's because the Browns are that bad. Like that Devin Singletary five-yard touchdown run, dude, wide open. At the five-yard line, and the Browns looked like they were playing with six players on the field. It was that easy. So... Good job by the Bills winning in uh, in a different way in this one. Yeah, th- this was one where I think the Browns let it get away. They were really close multiple times for important touchdowns that would have would have kept them ahead or right in this game. And like you can't, they don't have enough margin for error to miss those kinds of plays given the defense they're playing right now. So that was that was a bad part from their side. Buffalo. I think we're able to win because of that. They they have enough on both sides of the ball to kind of pick up the slack. Naheem Hines had a couple of really nice returns. Um, you know, looked like a real impact player for them as a return guy. Whatever he makes uh, as a as a factor of the offense wasn't particularly huge, but he can be a, a an addition or a, an upgrade at return. Um, so yeah, I think the better team won, but the Browns will kind of see this as a game that got away from them. You're right, though. Brissett did play well. There was a lot of uh, a lot of just misses on plays. The Browns, as a, a, a team that we, for the last few years, have said, good roster, good roster. I mean, got to reassess what's happening on uh, the defensive side of the ball there. Yeah. Because they just don't – they just haven't had a shot. So, um, so the Bills moved to 7-3, and three, same record as the Dolphins, who are on bye. The entire AFC East still looking good, but we'll get to. Um, I want to get to Jets Patriots. 
Oh, boy. Yes, in just a second here. But first, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, Patriots 10, Jets 3. I'm going to walk off punt. Uh, pretty much a walk off punt return. Almost. Marcus Jones. Yeah. There was five seconds left, but man, what an ugly game of offense in this one. We had kind of expected that. Mm. We didn't necessarily expect six to three. I mean, three to uh, three to three till three the to end. Three to three, yeah. I was, I, my head was saying. Three to I, three, and we were going to overtime. I was just rooting for like a six to three game because I love that final score you love six that. to three yeah no score got me there's been many of those yeah but i love a good six to three game so you end wouldn't. of the game the um it was an interesting sequence because the jets had the ball it's three to three they had had negative yardage in the second half to that point right and you don't have any faith that they're going to lead a you know just yeah, a no. field goal drive right and it was the announcers even mentioned they're kind of like playing chicken back and forth about who's going to call timeout. Do the Patriots want to call timeout right. so they have another shot? Does anybody Do the Jets want... want to call timeout to give themselves <laughs> enough time? Not really. So does, they both. Does anybody actually want any time on this clock? Then you know, there's always a. Um, what was the official? Can I get the official wind the for official this game wind? somewhere? Because there was. A, it's probably in the game book, right? Yeah, maybe in the game book. I'm looking. Here you go. Here you go. E 17 miles an hour winds. 17 mile an hour wind. It felt, I mean, it sounded like it was worse. Wind right? chill 27 degrees. Yeah. Cold and windy. So I mentioned to the, this to you off air. Has there ever been a game in Bill Belichick's coaching career where he has not had the wind in the fourth quarter? Uh. They had the wind. The Patriots had the wind in the fourth quarter. Well, maybe that's, you know, that every, every now and again, Belichick won't defer take possession or whatever and i was like what is that, that happened would anybody one time. do that i mean that, like he famously yeah. against Peyton maybe Manning, that's what he's looking at the wind against the 2013 broncos one of the best offenses in nfl history they go to overtime the patriots win the coin toss where it was first score wins back mm. then <laughs> and belichick's belichick's like no take the wind yeah i'll take the wind here and it it worked on a punt return yeah, no, belichick but um of course, the Patriots had the wind in the fourth quarter. Mm. So the Jets aren't necessarily pushing the ball down the field in the whole thing. So they get stuffed on third and one. They get to punt it. Yeah. And um, they punt it. 84-yard punt return by rookie Marcus Jones, who was a punt return genius at Houston in genius. college. Yeah, genius. He was unbelievable. Great return. And uh, Terrible yes. punt. So well, I'm, I was watching the punt, right? It's... I wonder how much the first off the wind was a factor right it was a low punt so sure. you're trying to cut the wind a little bit right at the point where the wind is a factor so you know generally speaking a punt is a combination of distance you know just how far are you going to boot it away from the line of scrimmage direction don't put it right down the middle and hang time how long can you hang it in the air so that your guys have a chance to get down and cover it right this the combination of those three things determines whether or not this is a good punt if the wind 52 yarder so that part's fine that part sound that part sounds good but it, to the detriment was, right it was right down the middle bad and it had no hang time on it bad so at the point where the wind becomes a factor that takes away one of the three pillars of being a good punt you have to change at least you have to change both of the others probably right at least one of them 
So make sure, like, you can't have two of your three pillars of being a good punt bad. Otherwise, you're in trouble. So if the wind was the thing that stopped that having any kind of hang time, and I'm perfectly prepared to say that it was, you can't hoof it right down the middle because at that point it's going to have no hang time and there's going to be plenty of space for the return man to do some work. Okay, he doesn't have any time to work with, but he doesn't need to. So if you couldn't put that thing in the air because of the wind, you had to head it, hit it to the sideline. And he didn't. He put it right down the middle. With 26 seconds left. Yeah. And you're on your own 32, the Jets. I'm wondering, it, it's a tie game. You're not winning, right? It's a tie game. I'm wondering why the Jets don't just punt it out of bounds. That's what I'm point. saying. Just this, by the way, was... Because you, well, you said sideline, but like if you just booted out of bounds, 40 yards, whatever, 35 yards even, are the Patriots... Patriots aren't going to, they're not going to run, even though they have the wind, they might, they're probably just going to take a knee. Yeah. Right. They're not going to do, you know, the rugby stuff. They're not going to be lateraling because you could lose the game right. on that. They're probably going to take it take a knee and go to overtime. The only way you can lose in this situation is a punt return, which yeah. is amazing now, for both teams. <laughs> that, what that's I, how what happened. What, what I will say is this was the first punt return touchdown in the NFL this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is so, a but, rare thing. Right. Occurrence. So what I'm wondering is, um, you know, you talk, we talk all the time about the little mar- the tiny win percentage pickups you can get along the way. Are you actually playing the percentages in burying it down the middle and playing for a punt return? Because if he tries to return it, he's chewing time off the clock, et cetera, et cetera. Like, is that actually the percentage play and it just looks dumb because they returned it for a touchdown because it was a bad punt? Or should you say, well, there's some chance of a touchdown if he returns this. There's basically zero chance of a touchdown if we hoof it off the field 40 yards down. You know, let's, let's, let's put it out of bounds. I mean, there's, if you do try to kick to the sideline, if you, if you do try to kick it out of bounds, there is, that, that is risky in that you get like the 25-yard punt it goes out of bounds way too early. It's already windy, swirly. If they kick it 25 yards, the Patriots are like right near the 50. Then they're probably so they, likely to run, try to run a couple of plays to get yeah, into the range. Yeah, they punted with 26 seconds on the clock, right. right? Now, at the time Marcus Jones eventually got himself into the end zone, there were only five seconds left on the clock. But if you... So essentially, if he if they had kicked it, it had been fieldable inbounds, and they'd made a tackle. You're probably taking splitting the difference. You're taking half the time off the clock, maybe. Yeah. Um, but if you hoof it right out of bounds, there's probably still 20 seconds left on the clock with right. you know a chance to get into range. Because at that point, remember, you only need a field goal. But as long as that punt isn't like 25 yards or so, yeah, or less. I think anything deep, like somewhat into Patriots territory, they're going to take a knee. So, yeah. So I guess my point being, it looks terrible because obviously it lost the game. But is this one of those situations where it's like going for it on fourth and two was the right decision? The play you dialed up was the bad part? Is this actually playing the percentages correctly to make them feel the punt? You just punted yeah. badly. Punted badly, fielded it badly, uh, recovered it badly, and uh, credit Marcus Jones. And yeah, the Patriots. Great so, return. so they win ten to three. Uh, first off, the the story in New York, of course, is going to be the play of Zach Wilson once again at quarterback. Oh, is it ever? I mean, just just horrendous, man. The entire offense for the Jets just just horrible. So the Jets had two yards in the second half of offense. Um, One hundred three total yards of offense in this game. Yeah, Zach Wilson was asked after the game 
if he feels he let the defense down and replied no that was I it mean, period and move on i don't really care oh you see this is the thing though the jets do because that's not great uh garrett wilson had a quote this is from mike giardi uh garrett wilson quote this shit is not okay straight up it's not okay how many total yards do we have uh that shit is not gonna fly we got the dudes it's time to be consistent it's time to win games we should win so he's pretty pissed off uh this one is from connor hughes sources inside the jets losing locker room losing locker room told sny that zach wilson was walking right after the game quote like he isn't the problem it rubbed more than a few the wrong way frustrating several others so here's the thing if you're going to be the quarterback for a team whose defense is playing lights out limiting the opposition to like nope to three points not that much success uh and then execute two yards of offense in the second half at the very minimum when somebody asks you if you feel some personal responsibility for that you should say yes whether or not you do you should say yes i blew this we blew this as an offense we need to be better our defense was lights out they deserve to win this game that is the answer to that question whether or not it's true because you saying no is going to piss off every single defender in that locker room who just played their hearts out and saw that game go away from them fine he should have said yes this is like the ghostbusters clip the bigger issue right when somebody asks you if you're a god you say yes the bigger issue is zach wilson being bad well, that's not the how root we, cause of all the problems. But if you're going to be bad, at the very minimum, be bad and liked. Yeah. Be, you can't be bad and hated. That's how you wind up being Carson Wentz. You need to be bad and liked. And the only way to be liked, if you're bad, is to at least take but, responsibility for it. But this is why expectations had been so low that two weeks ago, when Zach Wilson played a not terrible game, was the game that he played two weeks ago not terrible against the bills and there were jets fans that were like man those four plays just like may have turned zach wilson's career around like he converted a couple third downs with his likes and hit a slant remember i said that after the show i was like he hit a third and five slant that was awesome great job but he didn't play like a good game or anything like that they completely protected him with rpos and screens and the whole thing and in this game you couldn't you didn't have that right you couldn't do that all the time when he does make a throw with conviction, his receivers and him are not on the same page, right? He's throwing a dig route when a receiver's running somewhere else. Um, the announcers were at least saying, well, he's not turning the ball over. Yeah, because he threw one right to Devin McCourty who dropped it. Mm. Like, who cares if the turnovers say zero? He tried. <laughs> and then he tried to throw a game-ending interception. He threw one along the sideline that, I don't know what's worse, to be honest, the punt return walk-off, or if, I forget who the defender was for the Patriots, if he just catches this interception with under two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, we would have been talking about Zach Wilson threw an interception with the game on the line to put the Patriots in field goal range when, of course, it's the fourth quarter, and they had the wind because Belichick always has the wind in the fourth quarter. Mm. It was all bad, man. Yeah. Everything was bad. It was like, it felt like they picked up negative two yards in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. You're watching that, it's like, it felt like that. He yeah. didn't look like he could adjust to the wind either. 
He'd just whip it into the flat and sail passes and everything. Like, everything was bad. He's coming out of this game with a PFF grade of like 30. That might be generous. Sure. I mean, <laughs> either way, the point being, like, his numbers are wretched. He played badly. He had a couple nice runs. His grade is terrible. He, he did let the defense down. I mean, aside from anything else, the answer to that question is yes. And he was like, no. At least sound like a quarterback with it. Hey, you know, the offense did let you, you know, even if you got to take enough personal, personal responsibility, but obviously the offense like, is what's holding them You got to ask yourself, right? You know, and the, the, what would Peyton Manning do? You know, that's the answer to all these questions. Peyton Manning, whether or not he's the greatest of all time, is the prototype. Peyton Manning is the the textbook quarterback, right? In fact, that that should be like that should have been his nickname, the textbook quarterback. He would do it exactly by the numbers. If Peyton Manning came out of a game where he threw for seventy six passing yards, so immediately that's not happening. Um, but if he came out of a game with that kind of production, and the defense had conceded three points, but they lost the game anyway, and someone asked him, did he feel like he let down the defense? What would he say? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Uh huh. Yes, uh-huh. I did. Yeah. So they'd yeah, be a, they'd be a little off shucks to it as well, but yes, would have been the sentiment. It was bad. Wilson was sacked four times. He had one though. Again, it's just the attention to detail, man. It's just not there. He's got he's hot off a of blitz. He's looking to the other side of the field, which is fine. Except he's got a five yard out wide open. Doesn't throw it. If he had looked to the blitz side, he's got this hot read right there. It's one of those simple, simple plays. I think when you're watching the game, it's like, oh, Zach Wilson got sacked again. The pressure's crazy. The offensive line's terrible. It's like, no, mm. that's the play that in a game last year, Mike White came in and just hit the hot. He just hit the five yard pass, and the other side of it is like, well, look at Mike White with all these easy throws yeah but that that is the that is the biggest issue with the jets and this offense and everything is that we've seen other quarterbacks executed way better than zach wilson and not just not like teddy bridgewater as a backup a former starter just mike white joe flacco you know aging joe Flacco. all those guys ran the offense better than zach wilson aging joe flacco so you said aging joe flacco okay yeah yeah not joe flacco no no, it just sounded a lot like you said asian joe flacco i did not say wow no i would not say that Nope, because it's actually not a description of Joe Flacco. No, <laughs> it's a guy that's well, old. Or I was just wondering, like, who would be the, uh, who is the Asian Joe Flacco? Where do they find him? And would he be a better quarterback than Zach Wilson right now? These are all questions. These are all questions I had when I heard that. I don't know the answer to some of them, but the last one, would he be better? Than, mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. On the other side, uh, I mean, it's not like New England fans are talking awesome about their offense it was different though right the jets couldn't even gain a yard yeah the patriots actually moved the ball a bunch but it kept they mac jones gets sacked six times yeah this is not like the last time where the destitute performance from zach wilson hid how bad the performance from mac jones was you know it was just that this is really bad and if it wasn't for this over here we'd be talking about this a lot more this was actually okay this game I mean, the great. entire, I would be talking about is the entire offense, though. I mean, so the, the first sack, I looked at all the sacks for, for Mac Jones as well, because again, the, the story when, when quarterbacks get sacked, and there was a bunch of these this week, guy gets sacked four or five, six times. When guys take a bunch of sacks, everybody's like, well, the offensive line was trash, right? Mac Jones' first play from scrimmage, they have a swing screen where, you know, you're supposed to invite pressure, and he just didn't throw it, and he took a sack instead. I don't know what he's seeing sometimes and and the second sack was the same thing 
Dan Orlovsky was talking about that we talked about in the pregame show. Like, uh, Mac Jones is sitting there ready to throw, and receivers still have five more yards of depth to get in their route. Like, nothing's timed up. And this Mac's is- just like, you know, jumping around, jumping around, waiting for something to happen. He's got to take a negative sack. Plus, they lost up front on top of it. So there's just so many negative plays in the New England offense right now that it doesn't matter with Mac Jones. He had he had more he got sacked more times, six times, and only had four incompletions. But a lot of those were like they're behind the chains, he's dumping it down and they're just picking up free yards. It's just ugly offense in New England as well. Yeah. This is why the whole Mac Jones thing doesn't it feel like it's not really his fault? You know, like people are people are using this as a sort of revisit of hey Mac Jones was never any good. Nobody should have ever liked him as a prospect. He was always a bad quarterback, blah blah blah. Like, okay, you can extend his poor run of play into the back end of last season and paint a picture, but the thi- some of the things that are going badly in New England right now are things that Mac Jones was doing well and is no longer doing well, I think in large part because the offense as a whole is not functioning. And, you know, an obvious difference between it, it before and it now is you took away one of the best offensive minds in the game and replaced it with multiple defensive coaches or a defense and a special teams coach, neither of whom have had tremendous success in man management when it's been a larger part of their brief. All right, so yeah, I mean, man, there's there's a lot to that. It is, it is fascinating that the Patriots defense has been so successful in basically, I mean, for the last six or seven weeks or whatever, that it has masked how bad the offense has been as a whole everything's been rough over there so anyway we can't spend the whole time on this game but it was one of the more fascinating 10 to 3 games you'll ever see just because sure. uh just how bad the offense i mean credit the jets defense man they did a they did it they did a great job up front defensive line played well again um yeah there's a lot to it wind game you know wind game what are you gonna do in the wind game All right, let's talk Baltimore Ravens 13, Carolina Panthers 3. Another game, I I don't know what else in this game. I mean, the Panthers hung tough. Mm. Baker Mayfield got the start. Um, It was 6-3, and Marcus Peters with the strip basically in 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 the fourth quarter of the Panthers' comeback attempt. But, yeah, credit Carolina for just keeping it close. Yeah. Carolina's defense did well. Yeah. Um you had a, a nose tackle interception. Bravian Roy. Yeah. Tough. Um, Multiple like defensive line interceptions yesterday where the guy just kind of plucks it out of the air as it's supposed to go over his head. TJ Watt with one of the most ridiculous ones. But Bravian Roy. Lots from more. A, and it's always impressive when players do that. I mean, it's, it's impressive enough to just bat the pass. Yeah. Getting your hands up and getting two hands on it is a decent achievement. Somehow stopping it dead and coming down with it at that point is kind of crazy. And those are tough on the quarterback, obviously. They're not necessarily – I mean, you're not looking at the defensive line. Yeah. It's really the defensive lineman's reaction. That's why most batted passes are not a function of anything the quarterback does. It's really a function of what the defensive line does and a function of where the quarterback's throwing it, right? Every time there's a batted pass, people are like, this guy's tall, this guy's short, like this guy has a low arm angle. It's pretty much are you throwing the ball over the middle short? If you are, you're – more likely to have the bad the pass batted i mean that's what it is but bravey and roy makes a great interception on that play but um ravens make enough plays in the end marcus yeah. robinson with a big game like he was the top receiver 
for the Ravens. It is funny how he was so out of sync at times with Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs. It always felt like everything Demarcus Robinson did with the Chiefs was bad. But he's looked pretty good with the Ravens as a complimentary option. Had a big day yesterday. Yeah, it was, this, it was a strange game where it was a grind for Baltimore. They eventually got it over the line. Um, Carolina's defense hung tough, did a good job. The offense with Baker Mayfield back at quarterback kind of looked garbage again. Like Mayfield didn't get much done. Had some turnovers. The rushing game disappeared. You know, they'd been dominating with Deontay Foreman over the last few weeks. He had, what, 11 carries for 24 yards. Like, the offense the offense didn't function with Baker back at quarterback again. I know people think of the Baltimore Ravens, and sometimes historically you just think, oh, great defense all the time. That has not been the Ravens, really, the last couple of years. They've just been, they've been pretty good defensively. But we, we've mentioned these additions, right? Having, having Roquan Smith there and maybe Roquan allowing Patrick Queen to play better ball right now, which is happening. I mean, is that what we're looking at right now in Baltimore? I know it's Carolina and their offense and Baker Mayfield and everything, but Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters with huge games. I love the way uh, Kyle Hamilton played yesterday. It was limited. He's only playing pretty much on you know third downs, nickel type stuff, but... Um, flying around the field, making a ton of tackles, using his athleticism. There's a lot of good pieces on this Baltimore defense, and that might be the bigger story for them down the stretch is the defense coming together and maybe being their best unit in years over there. Yeah, um, there was a, a real injury scare in this game as well. Ronnie Stanley went down with an ankle injury, got rolled up on by Lamar Jackson. Um, same ankle, I think, right? Yes, same ankle as the one that kept him out for basically two years uh, so that obviously is pretty terrifying when that first happens. You're like, man, I really hope that isn't as bad as it looks. He says afterwards it, it seems pretty good. So it, it looks like a, an injury scare or a bullet dodged more than, you know, as bad as it looked when he hobbled off the field, not really under his own weight. So that would be huge if they avoided that kind of loss, both for the Ravens and for the poor guy. Like if he goes down with the same injured ankle after basically two years of being kept out by it, that would suck. Yeah, that would be rough for Ronnie. Um, so Ravens move to seven and three. Panthers are three and eight. One of the few teams that hasn't had a bye yet. And uh, Terrace Marshall was the leading receiver for the Panthers. He gets seventy-six yards on three catches. He's a little, you know, getting. Um, I don't know. Terrace Marshall's played well in recent <laughs> weeks. <laughs> Trying to look for positives for the Panthers here. Okay, he's looked good. He's started to live up to his. Did he end up in the third round? I think we yeah I sometimes I get confused where we expected him to go second he ends up going third Terrace Marshall looks like he could be a, a pretty good player Patrick Green with another great game by the way that's like back-to-back dominant yeah, performance from Patrick Queen who had been terrible for the first couple of years was yeah, I said Roquan unlocked him yeah, I mean it's starting to look a little bit like that now, that's Roquan, what I'm saying about this Ravens defense the pieces Roquan didn't good. back it up with another outstanding game but but he's unlocking Patrick Queen Freeing him yeah. up. All you need is one good, awesome linebacker. There were some it? nondescript games yesterday. This is one of them. That's it. Moving on. Well, there were a bunch of games where, you know, the team that's supposed to win and keep going, Baltimore, Philadelphia, whatever, like, they ground out a win. There were a lot of yep. games where the team that won should have won, but, God, they seem to make hard work of it, and this was one of those games. Yeah, I mean, it was 6-3 to three into the fourth quarter before the, uh, the Ravens finally put a touchdown on the board. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. 
I can't actually put bets, though, because, you know, I would lose all of them. But mm. right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Just imagine if you took the opposite of my picks over at DraftKings. Coining. That'd be great for you. Mm. Check this out. You can also, everyone, can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Get to, draft, get to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more the more legs you add the bigger the boost the bigger your shot to win big i would suggest uh any sort of chiefs mahomes kelsey uh same game parlays that might be a a good way to go over at DraftKings. so download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use code pff place a five dollar bet on any nfl team to win their game and get 150 dollars in free bets if they do only at DraftKings sportsbook with the code pff minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details Terrace Marshall was a second-round pick, number 59. He was a second-round pick. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Sometimes, yeah. Oh, we thought maybe he was a borderline first. Is that what it was? I mm-hmm. feel like he just went lower than we had anticipated on the PFF draft board. Let's get this one out of the way. That's how I feel. Washington 23, Houston 10. Wow. Say something about the game, and we'll move on. No, Washington, look at them. Grinding it out again, taking care of business. Pick six by Kyle Fuller early in the game. Kendall Fuller. Kendall. Mm. Yeah, do that sometimes. After uh, Jalen Petrie dropped, but dropped an interception from Taylor Heineke, which you're like, oh, there's a YOLO ball that that was about to cost him. It wasn't even a YOLO ball. He just like missed single coverage against the safety. Well, that's what he did in the fourth quarter against the Vikings. It was kind of similar, right? Just an overthrow. The The one that he threw to Harrison Smith a couple weeks ago was just an overthrow, not YOLO. Yeah, so this one was not an example of the kind of, oh, just chuck it up into double coverage and hope good things happen because it's Terry McLaurin. This was like, that was actually the right idea. You just missed it by a mile and the safety should have come down with it. And then Davis Mills answers with a pick six. You're like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Houston was outgained 246 yards to six in the first half. That's not great. Washington's defense rounding into form. I mean, if you go back to 2020... Poor old Kenyon Green has been running, running this gauntlet of like elite defensive tackles in the last few weeks, and all of them are a lot better than he is. Yeah, Jonathan Allen was bench pressing him into uh, Davis Mills' lap a few times. Yeah, so he's gone on a run of was it Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, Jonathan Allen. Like he is just go- like the. You remember we kept talking about how all these defensive interior guys are looking like all pros, and only two of them can be. It's yeah. basically who's played Kenyon Green. I mean, we, we go through this all the time, but it's like, that's who you have to play. That's called sure. being in the NFL. Yeah, but even by, that, even by those standards, he's had a particularly tough run recently. Yeah, Jonathan Allen was absolutely wrecking shop. Kenyon Green and Scott Questenberry, the center, both struggled uh, in pass protection. Texans couldn't get anything going offensively. And the Washington defense rounding into form. I was about to say, if you look at the Washington defense the last couple of years, the storyline was 2020. Hey, look, they're really good. They're underrated unit, came out of nowhere. They had, they had played this terrible run of quarterbacks, made them look good. They'll regress in 21. Hey, they did, but at like an extreme rate, way worse than you had anticipated. Now they feel like they're back, but how much of that is you know, who they're going up against every single week? But either way, it's, it is a, it's a talented defense. Chase Young, who we thought might be activated was not activated didn't Mm -hmm. need him but it is a good solid defense and 
Now we're talking about a team that's six and five in Washington. And Taylor Heineke, who's played still one good game out of five, pretty much. Yesterday was fine, I guess, but one good game out of five. Starter. And, uh, he's the starter going forward for Washington. Yeah, officially. Um, the So we talked about this before, right? I think there's perfect justification for that kind of move. And the justification, aside from anything else, is what we were talking about with Zach Wilson, which is if you're going to not be great, at least be liked. And it appears that all of his teammates like Taylor Heineke. Um, so I think that alone is justification. And it's justification that you can't really say out loud, you know? So there's, there's an argument that says whatever your actual reasoning is, is going to be less sensible sounding than the truth, which is nobody likes this guy, everybody likes this guy, even if there's not much between them, we're gonna go over here. Uh, but when Ron Rivera was asked what Taylor Heineke had shown to lead him to this decision that he would be the starter going forward, he simply replied, winning. It's like, I mean, yeah, but is that, but like, I mean, what are else we winning would you because? Answer? What else would you answer if you're the coach? The things that he's shown. Winning is not a thing you've shown. Winning is, I was on this team when we won games. All right, I'll ask you. Yeah. What are the things that Taylor Heineke has shown that might lead a coach to keep him as the starter for Washington going forward? The ability and desire to unlock our best players like Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson, like the, the actual desire to put the ball in the air, go YOLO, and give it to guys that are better so than So you want was. Ron Rivera to come out and say, I'm excited about this quarterback that we're going to name the starter for the rest of the year because he throws jump balls to Terry McLaurin. I wouldn't phrase it that way. And sometimes he throws jump balls to referees who trip and it becomes touchdowns. This is why I termed it unlocking our best players. Oh, okay. Like, our best players are better when he's in the lineup. That's okay. why we're going with him. You can handle the media. That's yeah. pretty good. Uh-huh. The answer to that is not he won. Because, okay, he won, but is that because of him or because of five other but that's things? That's the real answer. Like, that's the truth. But that's what I'm saying. That's this bad process. You can't just look at it and say, well, this guy's got a better win record than this guy, so let's go with him. Right or wrong. Well, okay, I mean, but what if, if that what if that changes? Because if you ask people who's better, Carson Wentz or Taylor Heineke, most people are gonna say Carson Wentz. And literally the only difference between the two is that when Heineke's been playing, for whatever reason, the rest of the but, team has played better. But the for whatever reason is significant. If you're in order to make that decision, Ron doesn't need, have an answer. He's like, I don't know why my defense has played better. I don't know why the run game has been more effective. Is that not a problem? I don't know why referees tackle defenders so that we don't throw interceptions. I don't know why that's happening, but it is, and we're going to roll with it. You know, that that's not a, an issue to you. I I don't understand what's leading us to win more games, but I'm not going to mess with it. Yep. I would like a little bit more connection to that winning and loss or win and winning and losing dynamic as the head coach it feels like you should be a little more in tune with that and if you are you should have a better explanation to why you're changing quarterbacks than this guy won games yeah i mean it's just to me it's an expected answer i just think that i i think he had one good game i want to hear more Everyone else is playing well. Understand We're it. winning games. Got to roll with it until Winning until is fails. not a reason. Winning is an outcome, which may or may not be connected to the quarterback. Brian Robinson had an excellent third and two run. that um, I retweeted that one out the other day where he just gets stuffed and then second effort, like just to get four yards on third and two. And to me, that just like sums up Washington these last few weeks. Keeping the chains moving, 
leaning on teams with the run game, not having an explosive passing attack unless uh, Heineke's YOLOing it to uh, Terry McLaurin. But good win for Washington, moving you, to six and five. Are you any closer to understanding what Davis Mills is? No. Okay. I don't have much else on that. Great. I mean, the Texans are picking. I, I don't think we have to think about it much more. He's a backup, probably. Yeah. I don't think he's playing particularly well. I don't think it's the same as New England, where it's explainable by everything that isn't him, because um, certainly, the off, or certainly the supporting cast hasn't always helped him out, like Kenyon Green getting his ass kicked for the last several weeks straight. But like this scheme is not incompetent. Um, they have you know, offensive-minded coaches that know what they're doing and aren't necessarily running the worst stuff in the world. He's just not, I mean, you know, the, the pick six is not anybody but him. Like, Yeah, he left one inside. It was, it was bad. I mean, <clears throat> Mills, for much of the season, had done a good job of taking care of the ball. Like, e- every description we had of Davis Mills was like, yeah, he's a backup, right? I'll, I'd, I'd take Davis Mills as my backup and see if there's more there because he's shown enough flashes over the last year and a half. But Texans are in line to pick number one overall. They're going to have their pick of this quarterback class. They're probably going to take a quarterback. Yeah. And Davis Mills will be their backup. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's just where we are. It's fair. It's fair for everybody. Yes. Uh, where was I going to go here? Detroit 31, Giants 18. So the Lions, third straight win. They moved to four and six. And uh, as we've been saying, the Giants came back down to earth. Only took 11 weeks. Yeah. Now the Giants fall to seven and three in this one. And uh, Wondell Robinson, see, out for the season officially, potentially. This he's, he's banged up. I mean, tough one for the Giants here all around. Yeah, this was the game that certainly Vegas has been predicting all season for the Giants. You know, like they kept rolling into these games where Vegas had them as massive underdogs against teams that had a way worse record than they were. They finally copped one to one of those teams. And I think they were they were favored in this game, right? But it wasn't. Uh, yeah, they were favored by three, I think. Yeah. So they, Vegas was sort of slowly coming around, but still wasn't exactly buying into it. Like the win differential between these two teams coming in was pretty stark. Um, but the Lions defense just showed up and played better than it had any right to play. Yeah, they were really good up front, man. They just um, – I, I rewatched all of Saquon Barkley's carries just to see what the Lions were doing. And it's just – they played good run defense. Like, that's my assessment. Yeah. They leveraged the ball well. They won their, you know, won their gaps up front. Their defensive line played way better than they had previously. Lynn McNeil had 10 pressures. Uh, Lynn McNeil had a career game. That's their right. interior defensive lineman who had been very uneven as a player for two and a half years so far. Um, he was outstanding. Um, I mean, those are the types of issues, right? Like, this whole season, it's like... Two and a half years? One and a half years? 2020 was his first year. Was he? I thought this was year two for him. Pretty sure 2020. I think he was one of my. Uh, I think I remember watching him during COVID. <laughs> okay, that's how I. Uh, that's part of how I remember these things. Was Draft it a rookie? year 2021? It was 21. Yeah. Then I was wrong. Yeah. Last year was his rookie season. Uh-huh. All right, so a year and a half. He's Davis Mills draft class. Yeah. I got Davis Mills right. Okay. So Olin McNeil had that was his best game, right? Yeah. Pass rushing especially, but the lines were just good up front. Right? I mean, this entire year they had been running the ball pretty effectively. It's not necessarily because the offensive line was spectacular. They were scheming it up, using Daniel Jones as a runner. But the Lions did a really good job bottling up Barkley in the run game, winning up front. Then you have uh, Hutch Island. Hutch Island. Yeah. 
You don't throw on Aiden Hutchinson. No. Second interception in four weeks. I mean, look, Sauce, Sauce Gardner is being talked about as one of the best cornerbacks in the entire NFL, and Aiden Hutchinson has as many interceptions as he does. Yeah, on far fewer chances. Right. Yeah. I don't hear people talking about Aiden Hutchinson as the best corner in the NFL. Yeah, we're Jets fans on that one. Yeah. Hutchinson's got his two picks. He's not giving up a lot of yards in coverage this year. No. Nope. At all. But uh, really nice design. This is the second. I know you weren't watching uh, USC-UCLA the other day but they had a near identical play that um ended the game essentially for ucla where the defensive end dropped off into coverage the quarterback didn't see it that's what happened with daniel jones there's a crosser coming from the other end defensive end is dropping into coverage you're just never expecting him to be there it looks like single coverage on a crosser daniel jones throws it aiden hutchinson picks it off it was the same thing that usc did against uh, ucla the other night so i've seen that a couple times this weekend but nice job by hutch on the uh interception there and again the lions offense they're scheming up the uh their run game they created some explosive plays there the stat for me though was uh, 2.4 yards per attempt on first down against the giants that's what the lions run defense did so put the giants into you know second third and long situations and it's tough for them to run offense like that jamal williams now leads the nfl in rushing touchdowns as expected. Yeah, that's not one people expected to see coming. Jamal Williams, I think, is a demonstrably better running back than DeAndre Swift. Now, is he as dynamic, in, like individually athletic, as Swift? No, but he's a better running back. Like the stuff that you don't necessarily appreciate until it just manifests in production. Swift is more of a playmaker, right? Well, Swift is just, you give him the ball, he's dynamic with the ball in his hands, he's athletic, he can make moves, he's, he's got athletic ability, but he doesn't sometimes see the open hole in front of him and instead wants to run over here into seven guys. Like, that's not that helpful. Whereas Jamal Williams is usually running the right place and then is less physically able once he does that to maximize, like, what that is, but simply running to the right place is oftentimes the more important element of this. So like, it, I took no end of crap whenever it was, a year ago, year not, when I ranked DeAndre Swift outside of like the top 32 running backs in the league. It's like, cause he doesn't, there's a lot of running back things that he doesn't do well. And like, there's a reason where he's kind of being passed on the depth chart by Jamal Williams, who's now leading the league in rushing touchdowns. You went through that whole thing to justify your ranking from last year that somebody on Twitter with without an avatar probably criticized you for? No, I'm just saying um, that it's it's another piece of evidence in this, you know, John Ray Swift isn't as good as a lot of people think he is. No, I gotcha. But Jamal Williams is playing very well within this offense. A thousand apo- uh, apologies on the Alib McNeil misstep by me, by the way. A thousand apologies. A thousand. I mean, we, we talked so much about how the Lions built in the trenches. That was their first, yes. first regime and all that stuff, and it just... Yeah. Age, man. Hmm. I forget more things now. Okay. At least you know it's not CTE. You don't know how often I've bumped my head in my life. Well, that's true. There's a uh, there's a TikTok. You don't know. <laughs> there's a TikTok account out there. It's got a ton of I forget how many followers. A lot of followers, right? From some guy that's seven foot one, and it's just like here's my life, like donk smashing his head off like low-hanging beams and stuff you could be tiktok famous if you just jumped on that thing years ago that you know? could be you just videoed your own head banging off stuff as you're walking around town every, every few months you show me what some other weirdly tall person is doing for uh, clicks and likes and yeah, yeah. social social credit uh-huh. right well he's got a whole thing he's and like I'm here's not... what it's like being on a plane when you're seven foot one 
And it's ridiculous, right? It's yeah. like going on a plane You've with tweeted, you. You know, pictures of me on a right. plane and everything. But yeah. obviously, but I did it tweets, you know? That's not where the kids are. You need to be on TikTok. All right. I'm well, just saying, you could. this is a whole account that you could have had if you'd embraced this years ago. Well, you didn't. Now you're just watching, watching some other guy get all the, the fame. Just sitting here with potential CTE. You're, yeah, you're getting all of the negative without any of the positive. Yeah. You're just taking the hits to the head. A lot of hits to the head. Tell you one thing I won't forget, though, is to tell people to smash the like button. Thumbs up while you're in here in the chat. Are you worried about the Giants? Uh, By the way, the define, Lions, the bet that the Lions are going to make the playoffs looking better every is. single week. Define worried about them. I mean, like, they're seven and three. Yes. We, we, we harp on this thing. You, you're not what your record is, right? There's, there's other analysis to be had there. Like, are, are the Giants actually a top 20 team in the NFL? You know what I mean? Like, those are fair questions. Are they going to – I mean, if they finished with eight or nine wins, would you be surprised? Do they completely fall back down to earth, or is it just, eh, it's like one little misstep. It's not a complete falling I mean, back down to earth. Yeah, so I don't think they're as good as their record. I've been saying that all season long. But I I said on the preview podcast, right, that they feel like the kind that – this was – I think Nick Wright had this, where he's like, the Giants feel like the kind of team that are going to make the playoffs – and then be hosted by Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and get blown out by, you know, 35 or whatever. Like, they lost. They're still the sixth seed right now. They can lose another two games before they drop to the seventh seed, which means they need to lose three to drop out of the playoff seeding entirely. You know what I mean? Like, they they've, they probably make the playoffs from this point. But can I imagine them winning a playoff game? Not really. Fair assessment. Atlanta Falcons 27, Chicago Bears 24. Falcons move to 5-6 and six on the season. Bears fall to 3-8. and eight. But the Bears, they're probably the most exciting team that loses every single week. <laughs> I mean, right? we talked, I think we were a little bit, uh, we, we talked about this game being like a sneaky, interesting game before. I, really, we, we didn't go hard enough. This should have been billed as like one of the most entertaining games of the week. This is the game of the week. That nobody's talking about the Bears every week though everything's entertaining but not just the Bears but the Falcons did their part as well like their offense is awesome to watch as well True. and Cordero Patterson got his record he the did all time leader in kick return touchdowns finally got his kick return touchdown he's so good at it he is by far the best kick return uh kick returner and by that I mean kickoff returns as opposed to punt returns in NFL history and every time you say that, people are like, oh, Brian Mitchell wants a word, or Dante Hall wants a word, or have you forgotten? Do, look, you don't, uh, people haven't grasped the degree to which the NFL has tried to eliminate the kickoff from the game. Look at the number of returns that Cordero Patterson has versus any of the other people that have a bunch of kick return touchdowns. It's insane. Like, he was almost about to, like, he was tied for the, the record. And it felt like they were they were going to take the, the the literally remove the play from the game, and he would never get a chance to break it. He finally got there, but like the number, he's managed to get that on a fraction of the returns of some of these other guys, and he's averaged like six yards more per return than most of these other guys. So in addition to getting there um, in a fraction of the attempts, he's also averaged way more per return. Like he is the best kick returner in NFL history, and now he finally has the record to prove it. 
we're not very good at being able to go back into the archive, but you were calling for this, what, two or three weeks ago? Yeah. Like, let the man return kicks. Let the man get his record. And uh, also, it might help you win games. And it quite literally helped the Falcons win this game, obviously, because it was a touchdown, and they won by three. And, yeah, Cordero Patterson. I do wonder, you know, Tyler uh, Algier keeps running the ball pretty well for the Falcons. They've, they've done a nice job, whether it's Algier, whether it's Patterson, whether it's Caleb Huntley. They've done a nice job with multiple running backs this year. I wonder how much that, you know, just kind of let them say, hey, we can put Patterson back there. He's not – we don't need to give him 25 carries per game in this offense. We have other people, Marcus Mariota running the ball. There's also, by the way, like this reason. I mean, he has a actually very high percentage chance of scoring a touchdown if you let him return a few kicks. Yeah. But the only re- – like what was the only reason why he wasn't returning a kick? Probably it's like, oh, he's our starting running back. Yeah. Um, Mariota had a nice keeper for a touchdown. Justin Fields, once again, runs the ball 18 times for 85 yards, had a nice score on a QB sweep as well. Um, I tweeted out last night just because I found it interesting just how much now the the Bears are relying on Justin Fields as part of the run game. Just individual carries. Fields has uh, most in a game this year by a quarterback. Fields has 17. Did I say 18 in this game? may have something off in the filter but fields has you know three of the top eight most carries in a game this year so they're like this is just evidence and most of them are the last few weeks right Mm -hmm. um since week seven fields actually has four out of the top eight highest uh numbers of carries for a quarterback in a game this year jalen hurts is all is the leader in all the other ones just the reliance on fields as a runner but of course at the end he's got a shoulder injury hurts his left shoulder He's trying to battle through it. He looked like he was off on that game-winning drive. Throws a game, well, an interception, overthrow that gets picked to to end the comeback attempt. So hopefully Fields is okay. But again, I was just trying to put some numbers to how often they're just putting the ball in Fields' hands and letting him go. Yeah, the the interception was unfortunate because it did hit David Montgomery in the hands. Now it's one of those ones where, like, it's it's high, it's not ideal, but yeah, like. You know, we talk all the time about if you're going to have a quarterback that's not Patrick Mahomes or, you know, one of these other guys that's obviously carrying their offense, if they need a little bit of help, you know, you've got to come up with these ones that are not perfect, but catchable. Like the Browns, right? Jacoby Brissett had three more touchdowns maybe yesterday than he ended up actually throwing. But receivers let him down on at least one of them, definitely, or arguably two of them and if you're being critical all three um but it's like you gotta find that extra six inches somewhere or find this difficult catch even if you're a running back like come up with it come on the guy is battling through a shoulder injury and he is your offense right now find a way of coming down with that fields had a nice ball to darnell mooney for a touchdown nice little uh uh, David Montgomery had the most receiving yards. He had a 32-yarder. Fields hit him on the run with a beautiful throw. Again, I, even just that pass, Fields kind of like breaking out of the pocket, throwing it on the run. I just see the confidence in him and all that stuff. There's so much, I think, to be excited about Well, this was with another, Fields and the Bears yeah. as this roster comes together. I know he only passed for like 150 yards, but this was another step forward as a passer. I agree. Like, I agree. Okay, let's 
<clears throat> let's absolve him of the interception. It's not a it's not a bad play. He's got pressure in his face. He gets the ball. It hits Montgomery in the hands anyway. Just you, okay, it's a little bit high. So understand what we off. mean by absolve, right? Like it was an overthrow. I think it was an overthrow that normally falls incomplete. The fact that yeah. it was intercepted was. But and it's and it's not. It's it's again like forced versus unforced error like this was an overthrow because he had a guard or a center getting walked back into his lap and had to kind of you know throw off platform in a way that you don't normally want and it was still very much catchable like it still hit his intended receiver in the hands over the middle so whatever it's not a turnover worthy play even though it was actually turned over but you couple the worst play um results wise not really counting against his record in a massively negative way and then you start adding some of the good plays that he made just as a passer you know like the the nice plays that he made throwing the ball and then you get to the fact that he's still one of the most dynamic runners in the entire game regardless of position like this the Justin Fields thing is not just like it wasn't a a switch that flipped and now he's good it is still progressing and the fact that it's still taking steps week to week and we are seeing like an incremental improvement from him in particular as a passer I think is important for them on the concerning side for fields he gets sacked twice on screen passes I don't know why he didn't throw them a couple of them yeah I mean that's the element where it's like okay we can still (laughs) we can still improve here yeah I mean that's like on screens it's not on the offensive line he's got guys open he's not throwing it taking negative plays but hey nobody's perfect but a good win by the Falcons still lurking around here at five and six in Atlanta. Let's go uh, Saints 27, Rams 20. Saints move to four and seven. Rams fall to three and seven. They're finally three and seven after I kept saying it. Uh, you Matthew spoke st- it into existence. You, you, you did my this. Um, I, another one of my re- random predictions came true. You know, listen, when you talk for eight hours a week, every now and again, you stumble into something. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention the. Colk met at one of the catches of the season. Oh, yeah, that was great. Up they the seam. Fired, yeah, fired a pass up the seam, one-handed snagged it, and held on through taking a massive shot coming in from the side. Like, I, I almost guarantee sort of pass breakup, the hit that hit him. Like, almost every single time, that kind of hit coming in from the side is going to dislodge that ball, and somehow Komet ends up coming down with it. And you also missed the chance to uh, big up Jaquan Brisker, who forced the fumble with a peanut punch. He did. Big force fumble for Jaquan Brisker. Model guy. <laughs> model guy. As did uh, mo- model Arnold Ebicady with a, with a sack. Yeah. And uh, model uh, Tyler Algier. The, the model rookies. Wow. In this game. I mean, this alone should have been reason to big up that game. This is why I was game of the week zoned in on this game yeah sorry where are we going rams no first we're going to talk about even though best ball mania has ended underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick'em game just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number than that number in this week's game and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps you pick between two and five players for your pick'em entry Get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. So it's simple to get started. You just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up with promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on that action today. Now, we can talk some Rams Saints. Cool. 27-20, Saints win. Andy Dalton balled out backing up this year's uh, solid pff grade he threw the ball really well on the other side the one thing that i did 
mention, you get to see a 2-2 Atwell breakout, 62-yard touchdown. You huh? spoke this into existence as yeah. well. I said, oh, no Cooper Cup? Matthew Stafford's going to spread it around. He's going he's gonna to get 2-2 Atwell going with that one 62-yarder. Yeah. And then Stafford gets hurt. This was Stafford's cleanest game, though, before yeah. the injury as far as throwing the ball and everything. But, yeah, the Rams are just still so depleted offensively. It's tough. Yeah. Um, injuries have, have been a massive problem for them, obviously. Remember, you know, the, the Rams have been like the healthiest team in the NFL for years. And everyone's like, what are they doing with sports science and recovery and, you know, all the magic? Have they cracked the code of solving player injuries? And then this year, it's like, well, obviously not. You know, it's come back down or come back down to earth and flipped with a vengeance. But then remember we were talking and I said that the first thing Kevin O'Connell should do as head coach of the Vikings is hire whichever dude is responsible for sports science and medicine at the Rams. And what he did, people pointed out to us. Like, where is it? The uh, hired f- former Rams director of sports science, Tyler Williams, as his, his executive director of player health and performance in Minnesota. Now, all of a sudden, the Vikings are one of the healthiest teams in the NFL, and the Rams have collapsed injuries-wise. Now, look, it's a very easy thing to draw a straight line between those two things and say, uh, I'm not I saying it's true. I'm just saying that's an interesting data point. Here I am thinking it was Kevin O'Connell this entire time turning the Vikings around. It's just sports science. I, I just find that pretty interesting. That, it is. That the Rams were one of the most injury-lucky, injury-proof teams in the last couple of years. All of a sudden, injuries have destroyed them this year. And one of the guys whose primary area of responsibility would be that is no longer in the building. Uh, quick aside. It'll be quick. But it is on the surface, it's like, man, how much impact can that really have? When Bobby Evans is your left tackle, quite a lot. Oh, no, 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 not, not healthy versus unhealthy players. I understand the impact that they have on the football game. I'm saying how much impact can sports science decisions have on the health of your players? I mean, a huge amount. Yeah. But, I mean, sometimes it's like people don't see it, so it's tough to wrap your head around. When I was, when I was playing baseball, Sam, uh-huh. it was fascinating to me how different or every organization was just in baseball. We talk about this in football all the time. There were some teams who said, never ice your arm don't do it whereas everybody else is like ice packs all over your arm right it's yeah. like you got you guys all want to keep your players healthy but you're coming to vastly different conclusions on how to do it right there might be there there might be extremes in the at the nfl level we had andrew whitworth on the show who was like i had never heard of recovery right until i went to the rams you know as a 36 year old or whatever he was 37 i mean what i mean it is it is amazing sometimes i think the difference in how teams Handle I think there's so recovery many. and the sports science aspect of it because there's workload. Yes, there's there's evaluating workload and then the decisions that are made off of that. Right. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. I think. Yeah, I think there's a ton of ways. There's the recovery stuff, which pro- which will change the length of time you're down for. And then there's all that load management stuff where you can actually see an injury coming and shut a guy down or, you know, adjust how you're going to use him in practice and all those kinds of things and prevent injuries from coming. So I think you can attack this thing from multiple directions and make a massive impact on how many times guys are going to go down. And look, I. I, again, it's a very easy thing to say, well, this guy was there a lot, but when they were healthy and now he's no longer there and they're not healthy, therefore it's all him. It would be pretty weird if they just let that guy walk out the door without any kind of succession plan in place. But 
it's a fascinating change in the Rams this year and shows you how important that element of just simply being healthy the last couple of years was to them ending up on that run and winning a Super Bowl. I, I don't know anything about this guy, but same succession plan oh, the in networks of the Vikings. But it's but it's all but it's almost like saying, well, anybody that works under Belichick, clearly they're going to bring whatever they know to right. their new stop. And if that doesn't work. Right. I don't know. Maybe this guy is the absolute sports science cheat code. And now the Vikings have that. Maybe. I mean, if he is great for the Vikings. Yeah. Just I not mean, after this week. Then somebody else has to hire him as GM or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, injuries kept on hitting. I mean, you look at that offensive line. The Rams started in this game. You so, mentioned Bobby Evans. Go ahead. Yes. So the player, they ended up with uh, six offensive linemen playing in this game because Ty Seki goes down. Bobby Evans has to come in at left tackle. Bobby Evans is a bad guard, so that's that's not great. Um, Coleman Shelton, <clears throat> Coleman Shelton, Matt Scura, Rob Havenstein, who's like their one good player and still up and running at tackle, Ode Abushi, and Bobby Evans and Ty Inseki. Like that, that's not an offensive line that can function at the NFL level. It just isn't. Yeah, it's rough. So um, John Wolford was hurt, the backup. Bryce Perkins comes in. Completes a few passes, sacked three times on 13 dropbacks, though. Um, more than 13, actually. I had a couple scrambles in there, too. Perkins had played pretty well in some preseason games for the Rams, but mm-hmm. they just they were trying to lead a comeback. With he didn't Bryce play badly here, yeah. either. But, like, yeah, leading a comeback behind that offensive line, like, it's, it's, that's a rough day with like, um, no receivers. Mentioned Dalton on the other side. Chris Olave with a nice 53-yard touchdown, just a dime from Dalton. And uh, Juwan Johnson keeps Over finding the end zone at tight end. A dime past Jalen Ramsey. Just... Another one, Ramsey. Uh, this happened in, in the when the Bucks made their comeback a couple weeks ago. Ramsey just kind of let the seam route go when he probably should have carried mm. it. To, and, the, uh, this was similar. He just kind of lets routes go past him. He sometimes. Just got run by, yeah. Um, and then I, I, we had this conversation off air, but Gary Neville, old soccer player, tells a story about how he knew it was time to hang him up. You know where he. <laughs> He played like a West Brom player or something. He named the guy. He was just like, yeah, played against West Brom one time, and this guy absolutely destroyed me all game long. And I knew, wow, if that guy can beat me, it's time to, it's time to go. I can't hang at this level anymore. The 2-2 Atwell touchdown felt like the kind of play that might retire Chris Harris. Like if I was Chris Harris, you know, and in my day had been an all-pro caliber cornerback, and then I let 2-2 run past me the way he did, I would be looking at that and thinking, I can't really do this anymore. At least Tutu's fast. He is, but but it still was bad. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really good. bad. You just, I don't know. I, I, if I was Chris Harris, that would be the kind of play that would make me think it's time. Yeah. So anyway, Saints win, twenty-seven to twenty. Oh no, I just lost my place. Oh, clicked on week nine by oh, accident. No. Now back to week 11. There's one more 1 o'clock game to discuss. Let Andy Dalton still hasn't had a bad game, by the way. He's been good, man. Throwing the ball pretty well. He was very, he's very accurate. He's, uh, maybe he's that guy. You just put him in a dome. Kind of I mean, see that little, little tick up in uh, accuracy. And he is literally the anti-Jameis Winston right now. Uh, and the anti-early Andy Dalton, the, the Dalton coaster. Like, he's gone from the Dalton coaster slash the Jameis Winston, what the hell are we going to get thing, to you are going to get rock-solid, steady, 75 game grades every week. Yeah. And he was better than that in this game. But, like, he hasn't... Like, Dolls work wonders, man. It's amazing the consistency that he's had every single week this season. 
Philadelphia Eagles 17, Colts 16. Eagles move to 9-1, Colts 4-6-1, more notably fall to 1-1 one one under Jeff Saturday. God. I was Had so this ready. one in hand, man. I was so ready for the, the Jeff Saturday 2-0 narratives, and they got taken away from us. Yeah. 345 games away from Don Shula, like he's going to get it in 10 <laughs> years type of, you know, he's on his way, it's on pace. He's 345, huh? That's it. Yeah. I mean, 20 years, but still. You see his pregame warm-up routine? He's out there running the... Jeff? Yeah. No. He's out there, like, running laps and stuff. Okay. A lot of code. Doesn't, like, Salah run the stadium and stuff? It looked different, though. You know the way Salah runs the stairs and Salah's kind of jacked and, you know, looking like a fitness model and stuff? You're like, okay, yeah. Jeff Saturday just sort of looked like like an old dad out in the park, you know, sweating through his hoodie and just trying to drop a few pounds. You're like... Relatable. Yeah. It minus, is. Minus the trying to drop a few pounds part. Well, trying to, and, and minus the cameras on you, you know? True. And it's like, yeah, at least most people when they do that are pretty well aware that it's not going out on CBS or Fox or whoever was broadcasting that game, you know, in an hour's time. It just it struck me as a curious, I'm not sure why you do that. Also, like, how did, does, does he the then man have to... work out. Like, the, the, the guy's going to work out and you're going to criticize him for that too? Does he then have to, like, go have a shower and stuff? Like, yeah. Pre-game shower? I Big fan of the pregame shower. Okay. Me. Just saying. Yeah. You just get refreshed and then you go play the sport that you play. Huh. Feels like Saturday should have better things to do than that. What's he going to do? Like, you think they're like drawing plays up or something? Like, what, what's he gonna, what else is he doing before, just before the game? But there's got to be a lot of things that the head coach has got to do. Hey, he's in the, the barn, man. You just show up <laughs> at that point. Talk to some players. Motivate some people. Talk to some players. Headbutt some dudes, and then you go out there and play. Okay. What else is a head coach doing on game day? I, I, I don't know, but it feels like you should have better things to do. Let than the man work out, have a shower, and be ready for the game. Anyway, Colts had a chance to win this game. Yeah, they're up, a good uh, chance. Yes. There was a point. I mean, they're up 13-10, to 10, and they're driving. They get first and goal from the five, and they can't, they can't connect. I mean, that. I think that's going to be the – that's going to be the thing that they remember. They had other opportunities too, but you have a chance to go up two scores there. They settle for a field goal. Eagles end up coming back down and scoring the game winner. Colts have a chance to get into field goal range, but uh, Brandon Graham with a big sack. Brandon Graham. And uh, yeah, they just uh, Eagles defense cracked down on the Colts comeback attempt there. Yeah, the Eagles defense, I think, played fine in this game or, or well. Um, their offense just didn't look right. It, it wasn't functioning the way it normally functions and i don't know if that is it trying to adjust to no dallas goddard um because obviously you know aj brown has been the driving force behind this offense like aj brown comes in the offense is different jalen hurts is playing better all of a sudden everything looks far better when he's the the primary alpha receiver and he still is like they had a bunch of plays where they needed something they got it to aj brown he made something happen um, and then Devontae Smith was the other highest target guy. But it's been three guys this year. It's been A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, and Devontae Smith. Those are where all the targets go for this offense. And then if you remove one of the guys from that, now you've still got the two, but where are those other targets going? Like, how is that being shared around the rest of the offense, or who else is going to pick up that slack? And it, nobody did in this game. Like, it didn't, didn't go additional plays to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They kind of had the same number of targets as they usually do. 
and nobody else had more than two. So it just it was like it just didn't function without Dallas Goddard. The plays that he would have made simply weren't there anymore, and nothing else came to replace it. So all of a sudden, the offense doesn't have the additional like explosiveness that it usually has. Yeah, I think people underestimate the the impact of a really good tight end on an offense, both positively and negatively. Um, when you have him or when you don't have him, even aside from the fact that, hey, they, they spool up screens and stuff for Goddard. He's so good after the catch and all that. But um, like we're seeing this with the Bucks this year, you know, when they're healthy, they've got good receivers, but they're always kind of missing the middle of the field, the, you know, the Gronk component or whatever it might be. When you have a legitimate tight end work in the middle of the field, it does open up things on the outside. Defenses have to account for the tight end differently. It does, it does lead to more deception, right? It does uh, disguise run pass a little bit better, uh, especially when you have a guy like Goddard's been a solid run blocker, especially when you have a guy that's an all-around tight end, what that does for the offense. So I'm, I am curious how much that's going to be a part of it. I mean, you're right. The Eagles offense just did not look the same. And even on their game-winning drive, you get like a 33-yard defensive pass interference in there that helped them flip the field. It wasn't this dominant effort whatsoever. Um, same, the same thing they, that I said about fields. Eagles completely relying on Jalen Hurts as a runner. I mean, he's definitely finding his way, whether it's scrambling, whether it's keeping. He's, uh, he's willing to slide too, right? Uh, that whole discussion we had a couple weeks ago with Tyler Lockett not getting the first down. Hurts has no problem preserving himself and saying, I'll take eight, I'll take seven. I don't need to get every single first down. I'm going to keep the chains moving. Um, he is just a very effective runner that keeps the Eagles on schedule. He had 16 carries for, for 86 yards and a score here, including the game winner on that draw play. I think he's doing a good job now of making that calculation on the fly, like yeah. when I need to slide, when I actually need to throw a shoulder in here because I need those yeah. two yards for the he, first down. He's tough. He can do that. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a guy and, that can take some And does do it hits. sometimes, but it's not all or nothing anymore. Like there are right. quarterbacks who do that every single time, throw the shoulder, and you're like, come on. Like you don't need that. The, the two yards now for this first down are not worth it, you know? Now when it's third and one and we're still trailing in this game and we actually need this for drive to continue, now there's a decision to be made and maybe you do throw the shoulder in there. I think he's doing a good job now of situationally understanding when he does need to take a hit and they need him to make that play and when they don't, he can just preserve himself. So there was a fourth quarter sequence which didn't end up mattering a ton, but Jonathan Taylor fumbled. It was like, uh-oh, Colts yeah. are blowing it. But two plays later, A.J. Brown then fumbled. Gave it right back. Colts got the ball back. But it was, it was all that, that sequence where the Colts just didn't put the ball in the end zone um, from the five-yard line that I think ended up costing them. Um, the other story in this game, this week, the Eagles signed Linval Joseph and Indomitian Sue. Yep. Jo uh, Joseph played 26 snaps. Sue played 17. Phillies run defense so much better in this game, whether it's because of them or not, but they at least, you know, as a team played so much better, did a good job bottling up Jonathan Taylor. Mm -hmm. and, you, and they combined on a sack. They got they in did. on a sack. They did. Joseph and Sue. So Eagles taking care of business, man. That's good. 17-16. I think that's all the 1 o'clock. So let's go to the 4 o'clock. Vegas. Las Vegas Raiders 22. Denver Broncos 16. A walk-off for the Raiders Devontae Adams with the game-winning touchdown from Derek Carr in overtime. Uh, Raiders move to 3-7. and seven. Broncos fall to 3-7. and seven. Yeah. Um, some weird things in this game. Uh, Shocking. Melvin Gordon just loves fumbling in really critical situations. Like, he's—Melvin Gordon, I maintain, is a good running back. 
when but, he doesn't fumble? Yeah. But the fumbles, not only are they too frequent, but they how does he time them for such catastrophic moments? I don't know. It's amazing. It's clutch. It, yeah. The Whatever the opposite of clutch is as a running back, that's what he seems to have. Um, I think Bill Simmons tried to make botch the opposite of clutch years ago. He tried to get that. Yeah, the fact see, that you've never heard of it, though. I can see why that didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Denver gives up, or Nathaniel Hackett gives up play calling for this game. Gave it to uh, Clint Kubiak, right? It was a Kubiak he gave it to. So I assume it has to be Clint. It's not Gary, right? Why are you just looking at me blankly? I was reading something and not listening to you. Then I was trying to calculate <laughs> in my head what you might have said. Okay. And I couldn't do it. I think he gave it up play calling to Clint Kubiak. Does that sound right? I don't know who it was. I believe it was to Clint Kubiak. Uh, I'm fascinated by this. Well done, both of us. Because, yeah, <laughs> because Nathaniel Hackett appears to be willing to do everything possible to turn this around. Clint Kubiak. Including and up to removing himself from the equation. Like, <laughs> I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure this thing turns around, even if it involves removing myself from power. Like, that's, that's, that's how willing I am to improve this team. The, yeah. the less I have to do with this, the better, frankly, as far as I can understand so far this season. So I'm going to give that's up. That's how you read. That's what coaches I'm gonna give do. give up game management. I'm then going to give up play calling. How many more things are we going to give up? You're What's supposed left? to delegate. You're supposed to delegate and find the right mix. Aren't to... you supposed to just be good at your job? <laughs> Yeah, but your job's not necessarily play calling. Okay, but it's I credit not... him for adjusting because I think most a lot of coaches are just stubborn. Yeah, but but there's only so many things you can give up before you're not doing anything anymore. Like, what do you bring to the table? We we got you, the game management stuff got taken off your plate. Now the play calling's been taken off your plate. Like, what else have we got? Being a head coach. But what's left? Oh, dude, just listen. That's not why the Broncos aren't good. That's not the, the issue here. What? What do you mean, what's left? How what? many head coaches don't have a game management person in their ear? Like, that's not a knock on Nathaniel Hackett. You can knock him for everything else. Like, the team's bad. The offense is bad. The, what, the offense that you're the head of, whether you're calling plays or not, that you constructed, the offense is putrid, right? Can, like, criticize him for that. Not because he got a game management coach and he's letting someone else call plays. Most coaches do that. That's not the thing. I don't know that most coaches do that. Most um, coaches, I mean, just look at it. Most coaches have someone giving fourth down suggestions, of course, and most coaches don't call plays. That's a fact. Um, That's not the thing that is holding Nathaniel Hackett back, the fact that he's willing to delegate things. Well, it's, he seems to be very eager to delegate things that he's struggling at badly, which is good on one hand. Growth on other, mentality. On the other hand, you'd like him to not be bad at everything. Growth doing. mentality. Sam. Um, yeah, the offense is tough. Yeah. The, and it looked good early, but it also felt like, man, they've had, like, they pretty much have one good drive per game. Russell Wilson became the first quarterback this season to not throw a touchdown pass against the Raiders. That's a good stat. To remember, like... You know, how much is a team better and how much did they just play the Raiders? Well, True. Denver played the Raiders and still didn't get it done. Nick Wright tweeted something that was interesting. He said, if the Broncos had just scored 18 points in regulation every game this season, they'd be 9-1. 18, that's it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> if this offense had just averaged 18 points every game, they'd be 9-1 and one right now. That's how good the defense is. And yet, sadly, again... Two overtime losses. Lost to the Colts 12-9. to nine. That's it, right? Just two? Yeah, and that's sadly, and the defense, again, 
blows one play and it's like, yep, yeah, that's the game. See ya. Yeah, you mentioned the Although play on the on the too. daily. You know, I don't know if you guys want our instant reaction. If you guys aren't following the PFF NFL daily, we give that instant reaction on Sunday nights. To be fair, they blew two in this game. They had the the big play to Josh Jacobs where uh, Josie Jewell lost coverage on it, and then they had the Sertan one in overtime. True. But um, the Sertan one in overtime that was that was a curious one. I've never seen. I've never ever, including college, every single target the guy had in college and his NFL, I have never seen Sertan bite so hard on the first move of a route and be completely exposed by the second. Like, that was a very strange play where he he just wasn't prepared for anything other than than Devontae Adams to one run what I presume he was expecting as like a deep over and just sat down on it. And then Adams went, nah. And just went somewhere else and Sertan's just standing there like completely lost in no man's land and unprepared for any I've never seen him do that that is by far his biggest strength as a corner is always being uh ready for the extra move and never being suckered by it like always in control never over committed to one thing and the first time I've, I've literally ever seen him do it cost them the game here yeah, and that was Devontae. I mean, you're going up against Devontae Adams for whatever that's worth. Devontae with a huge game. Um, it wasn't smooth all the way through, but that's kind of what you're expecting from the Raiders, right? I mean, having those having those games where Devontae Adams and Derek Carr can just take over in crunch time and make plays. And it wasn't, I mean, Adams had a lot of his catches early in the game. And it was good, though. It was good for the Raiders. It was, it was good offense. You mentioned, all right, Hackett gives up play calling. Mm-hmm. This was the best Russell Wilson looked all season. Yeah. Wasn't it? I mean, this was his best, cleanest game. You know, there's still negative plays, and there's sacks in there and the whole thing, but it was his best game. Sure. And he still only scored 16 points. Still looked, yeah, still didn't look good. <laughs> no, it didn't. Yeah, it's tough, man. Broncos defense has been so impressive this year. And I know busted coverage, like you said, to, to lose the game, but that defense is legit. And they've played well. It is. It just shows you it shows you how small the margins are when you're trying to survive off a good defense because they gave up two bad plays in this game and it lost the game for them. Yeah. Um, and as that stat showed, if the if Denver's offense scored 18 points in the reg, in regulation every single game, they'd be nine and one, and we'd be talking about them as the best team in the NFL. But Kendall, did Kendall Hinton get into the end zone on one, or he just missed getting into the end zone on one? Yeah, I think he... It's like touchdown passes, like, as a stat, are just stupid sometimes. The number of times guys are down at the one-yard line is remains staggering to me. That's why, that's why looking at touchdown passes skews perception so much. And I know, listen, I'm not downplaying scoring touchdowns. I know that's the name <laughs> of the game, but I'm just reiterating what it does in your brain, Right. If Russell Wilson has one more touchdown onto his stat line, his passer rating probably goes up 10. Your stat about not throwing a touchdown against the Raiders is mm. null and void, and it's all because Kendall Hinton like, just didn't get in at the one. Yeah. Right? And then they ran it in the next play. I mean, eight yards per attempt is good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Russ played pretty well, but again, they just, they're just they not putting points on the board. There's not enough consistency there. No. And, yeah, so there's the— And Ken- there's a lot of injuries. There, yeah, there's the Kendall Hinton thing. There's Melvin Gordon fumbling in a— ridiculously terrible situation like there were 
this was sort of mistakes rather than a complete and total ineptitude from the offense, which it had been for a lot of the season. So I, the fact that Hackett has given up play calling and the offense looked better is probably significant and potentially good for the team going forwards. All right, Cincinnati Bengals 37, Steelers 30. Didn't feel this close, did it? Did it feel this close? Didn't it? I mean, yeah, the Steelers, I mean, it was a close game. Steelers, I, I never thought the Steelers were going to win, is, is what I'm saying. But how much of that is you just didn't think they were going to win going in? I just, I think they were in it because T.J. Watt was picking off things, passes that should have been batted. Yeah. Right? Some freak interceptions in there. But um, Joe Burrow finishes with 355 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions that, again, it's T.J. Watt making a ridiculous play on one, batted pass on another. I thought Burrow played pretty well. And uh, Bengals explosive offense once again without Jamar Chase. Steelers they did hung they did hang tough, but uh, just not enough here. Steelers fall to three and seven. Bengals now six and four. Yeah, this was a good game for Cincinnati because um, the Steelers actually did a good job of shutting down the thing that we thought Cincinnati would do. So remember the first game without Jamar Chase, the offense didn't look right. It didn't really function. They had to change and pivot to something else the following week. And they went to Joe Mixon. And Joe Mixon ran right against Carolina. And you're like, all right, that's the blueprint. We're going to do that again. Uh, well, A, Mixon was being bottled up. And B, he then got hurt and left the game. And it became Samaji Pirine, who himself you know, had some success. But like, the Bengals did not have a ton of rushing success in this game. Like they, what, rushed for 62 yards as a team. So Pittsburgh did shut down that run game in a way Carolina didn't and forced him to do something else. So at that point, it becomes, all right, we keep hearing about how T. Higgins is a number one receiver on most teams, um, but without Jamar Chase, does that hold true? Or is that just a product of Jamar Chase? Well, here was the game. So 11 targets for T. Higgins, nine catches for 148 yards. Like T. Higgins became that number one receiver in an offense where nothing else was necessarily firing. Like... Tyler Boyd didn't get a target until after T. Higgins got hurt and left the game briefly. Um, the run game wasn't necessarily firing. It was T. Higgins doing the, the bulk of the work, and it worked. Yeah, a burrow to Higgins was fantastic. Back shoulders, just uh, letting Higgins go up, get the ball. Sometimes, remember scouting Higgins, thinking about the comparisons to him as a basketball player and how well he caught off-target throws and all that stuff. It does... It does show up on the field what he's capable of with his uh, ball skills, his size, and everything. That was impressive in this one. That, and then the Steelers just can't cover the flat, basically. Mm. We're talking two swing passes to Samaje P. Ryan, where he just runs them in for touchdowns and a screen. <laughs> Samaje P. Ryan with three receiving touchdowns. They're not all identical, they were different play calls, but they were similar. Passes to the flat where P. Ryan's taking it to the house. Yeah, similar enough that you're like, you know. <laughs> it feels like we should have a better answer for this. Um, so, yeah, I think, again, anytime the Bengals create explosive plays without Jamar Chase, I think it bodes well. And I think now we're a couple weeks removed from their dud against the Browns. And I, I don't know what if you just chalk that up to their division matchup that just doesn't work. The thing we always talk about in the NFC West, their matchup with the Browns might not work. And not to not to look into that too much because since that point Bengals looking pretty good even with uh we'll, we'll keep an eye on the Mixon injury which was a concussion mm. yeah I, see like, if you can come back I I think this was an, an important game for them to show that they can still have 
successful, productive offense without Jamar Chase and without the obvious game plan being shut down. Like that, I think the Carolina game was strange because I don't think the offense should have worked that way. It was so telegraphed that that was what they were going to be doing. And Carolina's defense is better than that. We saw that this week. Um, but they had a terrible stinking game. And the offense, the Cincinnati Telegraph going into that game, just absolutely rode roughshod over them. This was an important step for them to show that, all right, if that gets taken away, we can still work without Jamar Chase. Um, on the other side, you've got, you know, Kenny Pickett, just the entire offense. Najee Harris had a pretty sweet run. George Pickens with a nice touchdown. Pickens does seem like every pass that he makes, that every every catch he makes is spectacular. Yeah. But he also dropped an easy one. Yeah. Um, he did. That wasn't great. But his ability at the catch point is pretty stupid. Is he just making things more difficult, though? No, I don't think he is. Um, I think he is. So that's the Brandon. That's my Brandon Lloyd comp, right? Well, like it's the, Brandon, Brandon Lloyd, Lloyd wasn't running um, free a whole lot, but he's you know contorting himself on the sideline all the time. Who was the guy from the the Seahawks a few years ago who only made spectacular catches? David Moore. No. Uh, God, I Chris Matthews. No, he signed a big deal with Washington. Oh, Paul Richardson. Yes, Paul Richardson only made spectacular catches and was bad at everything else. And then I got him like a healthy payday because everyone was like, well, look at this highlight reel. And he was never a good receiver. Pickens is a good receiver who only makes spectacular catches. And I think when he gets a better quarterback and the offense generally is functioning better, I think it's primed for, you know, just a monster breakout. Now, maybe he'll never be the best separating receiver in the world, but I think he's way better across the board than Paul Richardson was, who was making spectacular catches consistently because he never got open. Somebody tweeted at me that um, linked to an article from a Steelers website saying the uh, the Bengals were quoted, Bengals linebackers saying they do the same plays over and over. They knew what the Steelers were running. Mm. Um, and he just wanted me to, to, to discuss. I mean, that's not the first time that's come up. Remember last year, that was one of the criticisms. So we know exactly yeah. what their offense is doing. The one thing I'd also say is they th- that just happened in the Patriots-Jets series, right? They played each other three weeks ago. And Bill Belichick was talking about, hey, C.J. Mosley's out there calling our plays and this and that. And, you know, Patriots had a bye and they didn't necessarily fix that. I mean, maybe they did, but they still scored three points offensively. I think that happens a little bit in uh, rivalry games, right? I mean, just in division games where you're so familiar. But there is something wrong with the Steelers' offense. There has been, whether it was Big Ben under center, whether it's Kenny Pickett. Again, I always describe it as, I mean, the, the touchdown to Pickens was nice. I mean, those are the types of throws that they had not been creating this entire season. But that's what it is. Like, there's so much pressure on the quarterbacks and receivers to just execute over and over again that you're just not getting the high-value plays in the Pittsburgh offense. No, true. I mean, I think there's definitely something to the idea that this offense is too predictable and has been for its entirety, regardless of the quarterback. And that probably is part of the reason why none of these quarterbacks seem to be able to get anything more than like middling average play because there's not enough help for them. All right, so Bengals 37-30 win over the Steelers. Two more games to discuss here. Dallas Cowboys 40, Minnesota Vikings 3. This will not help the narrative that the Vikings are an overrated 8-2 and team because they now have a negative point differential. Now, for whatever that's worth, negative point differential now if you take out their two losses mm. looks a lot better 
Sure. Their two losses, though, are absolute beatdowns to the hands of the Cowboys and the Eagles. Yeah. The 8-2 and two Minnesota Vikings Happy having hands. a negative points differential is pretty crazy. Um, now, Romo was making the point going into this game that they had the lowest uh, point differential of a, whatever it was, 8-1 and one team since some version of the Raiders that ended up going 13-1 and one and making this, uh, winning the Super Bowl. You know, so it's not necessarily a one-to-one. In fact, when you look at the list of teams that have had this record and this crappy a points differential, it's actually quite a lot of good teams because I looked at this a few weeks ago when it felt weird, you know? Um, and I expected to see a bunch of teams that came back down to earth over the course of the season and didn't end up doing well. But actually, you discovered a team like that Raiders team that won a Super Bowl and a bunch of other teams that ended up with pretty good records and doing quite well. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the Vikings stink, but it does sort of show like this felt like a game that's been coming for a while of Minnesota just not looking like they've looked. And I think a lot of people expected it to come against Buffalo and it didn't. They yeah. hung tough. They executed the comeback. They ended up winning because of a couple of weird uh, turnovers. But it felt like that was when the game was supposed to come. And then it didn't. It came this week against Dallas. And part of it, I think, was. So the, the Christian Darasaw thing, I think, is bad. Um, we talked pregame. I expected Darasaw not to play in this game because right. he was in the concussion protocol. He's an offensive lineman. We talked about the statistics that I'd found, uh, that the median return to play time for an NFL player is like nine days or something. And the players that return first are skill position guys. Offensive linemen get smacked in the head 20 times a game minimum. So... That has to play into whether or not the guy's coming back or not. Like, for all this talk about how the Vikings hired the Rams sports science genius, I mean, who the hell let Christian Darasaw back on the field after a concussion? You have to I, – I understand the protocols cleared him, right? I'm not saying that they did the wrong thing medically, overruled medical advice and put him out there knowing it was a problem. But like the Tua situation earlier in the year – there are some times where obviously the medical protocols are not enough for what is the information you have at hand, right? When Tua gets up staggering across the, the floor and collapses, like, it doesn't matter whether or not he comes and he can tell you what day it is and who the president is. The dude should not be coming back on the field. When you have an offensive lineman gets concussed and he has a game the following week, when his job description is to throw his face into a 300-pound guy 30, 40 times a game, like, that's not, you can't, you can't clear him for that. There has to be more than a week's shutdown time for specifically that position. And, you know, rugby and the NFL appear to be sort of plotting very similar courses or dealing with this thing, the concussion situation, on very similar timelines, right? So this week, rugby essentially had their version of the Tua thing. Right. An Australian guy got clocked, got up, couldn't really couldn't even crouch down, was was completely in, in uncontrol of his own movements, went off for what they call the HIA, the concussion test, passed it, got put back on the field. So and you're like, OK, look, it, it, again, it doesn't matter that he passes the test. He shouldn't be allowed back on. You could see that he was wobbly. So rugby's dealing with their Tua thing. But rugby has already crossed this bridge, which is. Like if a guy gets concussed, he's got a minimum stand down of 12 days to, specifically to prevent them playing 
just the to, next just week. Just to make sure they miss a game. Because Yeah, exactly. To, specifically to stop them going from concussed one week to playing the very next week. Because the point about all this is it's not an exact science. Most of us aren't doctors. We don't know the exact situation here. And even if a guy... The, the, the real key point is being symptom-free does not mean recovered. Right. And that's the thing that guys like Chris Nowinski are always harping on. It's like it takes 20 days to recover physically from a concussion. The fact that he's no longer symptomatic does not mean you should put him out there and say, hey, get hit in the head 25 times. Well, yeah, I think I don't know. I haven't kept up with all the science on it as far as the concussion stuff. But there was a point where people said it's not the it's not that you're more likely to get another concussion. It's that if you do have multiple, the, the, you know, the effects compound, right? Yeah, and we but, already know that sub-concussive blows you know, mount up. And, right. and a, you, can, you can get CTE, et cetera, having never had a diagnosed, you know, legit serious concussion, but simply having been hit in the head a lot of times. That's why soccer players who head the ball like, they're not, you know, nobody's... There's not, like, one moment. You don't have to get cracked head-to-head with a soccer guy and, you know, like, skull injury, et cetera. Like, simply heading the football for years will get you CTE, dementia, whatever, yeah. at the end of it. So to send a guy out who you know has just been concussed and say, all right, even if he doesn't get concussed again, you're literally sending him out knowing he's about to take 25 shots to the head because he's an offensive yeah. lineman. Like, that's his job. So I think that's another one where, like the Tua situation... I think they need to change the protocols here. And from the team, I'm not... I think the team needs to have some responsibility of knowing that part of it, which is he's an offensive lineman. He is not about to escape the next 50 plays without getting hit to the head a lot. So he probably shouldn't be playing in this game. So Darisaw was limited to 18 snaps before getting game. a second concussion. The, uh, the very first drop back for the Vikings, half on Darisaw maybe... I, I would just rewatch the sack. Cousins was sacked seven times. The yeah. very first drop back was he was sacked. It was a strip sack by Micah Parsons. And uh, that might have been the highlight for the Vikings day. So that ends honest. up being like the story of the game, right? Is that Darisaw goes out with a concussion. That's bad. Even when he was in there, it didn't look great. And the Dallas pass rush, which is, I think, the best in the league at this point, probably. It's certainly the number one pressure team in the league. They destroyed Minnesota's pass blocking, and therefore the Vikings' offense did not function. Yeah, Cousins was sacked on almost a quarter of his dropbacks. Seven yeah. sacks on 30 dropbacks for the Vikings' offense. So they couldn't do anything. I just rewatched the first sack, though. Man, Cousins got the deep ball wide open. You just got to throw it. This is why I don't know that, like, Darisaw kind of loses the block, right? This is why I'm saying when, when, you, when you give a stat to a lineman, how much it depends on someone else, yeah. right? The fact that this was a sack doesn't change the block for Darisaw. He could have maintained his block better against Micah Parsons. That's the truth. And Cousins, Cousins just throws the deep ball down the left sideline. We don't even talk about this play. Or if Cousins rolls out and just doesn't, you know, just throws it away or yeah. doesn't, you know, or like feels even, Parsons and doesn't take the sack, we don't talk about that play. Even after Darisaw's lost control of Parsons, Cousins has a week and a half to get rid of that ball. And yeah. Instead, tries to outrun Micah Parsons to the flat, which doesn't feel like the great. I mean, I know Kirk Cousins is riding a high right now, having outrun what is Zach Allen for a touchdown. Same trick is probably not going to work when it's Micah Parsons. I don't know if you were keeping up or not, but Micah Parsons ran a 4 3 
You plus don't. You're, plus you're weighed down by all the chains he's got. Yeah, true. Right? Anyway, this was a pristine effort by the Cowboys. I mean, everything that they did. So that part, but that, that side of it made sense to me, right? That without Darisaw, the Vikings offensive line was going to get murdered and their offense would struggle in a way that it didn't, you know, previously. What didn't make as much sense to me, or was at least unexpected, is that the Vikings defense could not stop Tony Pollard at all, all game. He laid waste to this defense that had been playing a lot better like, they just had no answer to Tony Pollard at all. Including a 68-yard touchdown. That was, I mean, there was a few nails in the coffin, but that was Well, it was like the, the first, final. Basically, the first play was a nail in the coffin, and then they keep hammering more in as Pollard the game went. looking quick, slippery, explosive, but a 68-yarder by Dak Prescott outside the pocket. Um, I thought, that, you know, the play from Dak to C.D. Lamb just before the half was, was really impressive. I thought, say what you want about Romo. But how about the recall Romo had? He pulled out. That was that was the play that Rodgers used to, with uh, Jordy Nelson with, under Mike McCarthy to beat the Cowboys back in 2016. Now, maybe the recall is because Tony Romo was on the team. <laughs> but that was the play. Remember in the uh, – was it the NFC Divisional round? They also feel like the kind of things that would stick in the memory, you know? Here's the play that beat us yeah, maybe in this critical play. Rodgers rolls left, and he hits uh, – I think it was Jordy – right might have been someone else on that particular one anyway hits a receiver along the sideline like literally just trying to lead him out of bounds and so that you could set up a, a late field goal and Dak and CD Lamb executed it to perfection they did can we talk about the NFL did not the credit that we need to give to Brett Maher who yeah they he so a 60 yard field goal he's got to hit before the half off the back of uh, the play to CD Lamb which well, they then review and because he, he kicks it but then we're like, no, nah, we have to take a look here's, at this play. Here's what happened, right? So Dak makes the throw to C.D. Lamb. I don't remember what happened. There was a timeout. There was, it was like two minutes, three minutes of stuff happening. Nance and Romo, they're talking. And Nance kind of like off the cuff is like, hmm, surprised they didn't review that C.D. Lamb pass. Mm. So they line up for the field goal. Bahar kicks, 60 yards. kicks the 60-yarder. And then they're like, wait, 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 wait. We got to go review that play from right. five minutes ago. Five minutes ago. Uh-huh. And, Nan- and Nance actually joked. He's like, oh, they must have heard me. <laughs> that was like New York like was, was asleep, and they're like, oh, uh, Nance said review a play. All right, fire it up. Let's so they, see. They take a 60-yarder off the board, run through it all. Did they then ice him on top of that? And then he has to go do it again. And then even that, they were like, what do you think? Tony is like, no, he's, gonna make, he's not going to make two 60-yarders in a row. And then he nails it again. Even better. He yeah. didn't sneak it through. He booted it right through. It yeah. was impressive. It was the Cowboys' day. He looked, see. he looked pissed off that <laughs> they made him take it again. Yeah, I don't blame him. So kudos to Brett Maher. He kicked essentially two 60-yard field goals and only gets credit for one of them. He's like undefeated from 60-plus or something, right? Like four for four or something like that? I mean, that's, I mean we, we, talked the bad, we talked the bad punt earlier in the show, and now we're giving the kickers credit. Yeah, come on, special teams connoisseurs. Look at us connoisseurs. Giving, cre- giving credit for special teams. We had someone else wanted us to give a uh, CFL shout out too. Well, since PFF is in the CFL game, shout out to CFL Grey Cup Cup. results. It was Montreal, right? I don't know. Toronto. Well done. The Argonauts, 24. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 23. (laughs) Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Sean Oakman apparently played football yesterday. Really? In the CFL game. Wow. As a man of my size. How different Related. are the rules in the CFL that Sean Oakman can be a viable player? 
Well, see, he was a uh, he was never a third down specialist, which is good because you can't have you know third downs like fourth down over there. Uh huh. It's a three down game. Yeah. That's great. Can't press people. There's twelve dudes running around. Everybody can motion. You can motion going full. It's a lot of good stuff in there. You have mm. the rouge. Is Gary Peters still kicking around up there? Oh, I'm sure he's an all pro. <laughs> I doubt it based off All the, Canada team. his highlight of like taunting the guy and then getting annihilated. Listen. Like the one clip that everybody's seen from the CFL in the last 10 years was that corner going like, you know, bring it on. Look at you. Pre-snap. Don't be one place scouting. And then the right guy now. in motion running towards him just buries him. That was, that was Gary, your guy. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Shout out to the Argonauts. Dynasty they got over there. Oh, yeah. Is that yeah, where yeah. Flutie played? Uh, I don't know. Me neither. I'll know more about the CFL as we cover it over the next four years here Perfect. at PFF. Well, let me know everything you find out. That's how good the Cowboys-Vikings game was. We had to do a little Grey Cup aside here. I mean, it was good if you're a Dallas fan. It was great if you're a Dallas fan. Not everything so worked. Much, everything yeah. was good. I mean, there were points where Cousins dropped back. He just didn't have a prayer. I mean, we're talking, you know, J. Ron Curse just, you know, read Blitzen and uh, – Protection schemes were a mess for Minnesota outside of just the personnel. Everything was bad. Former for Viking Jaron Curse, yeah. who then gave them the Viking clap after his uh, after his play, big play. Oh boy, thunder clap as opposed to you know no-no. crabs. They'll remember that in the playoffs, won't they? Sure. But isn't this what Dallas is capable of, though? Hey, check it out. Gary Peters is in fact a CFL All Star. Told you that. Twenty twenty two All Star yes. for the BC Lions. The only thing keeping him out of the NFL is some bad of the play. things that are legal in the C- in Canada that might be illegal in well, his America is, and in the NFL. You're telling me that, that being grabby, grabby Peters, is in fact a benefit in the CFL. I was suggesting perhaps off-the-field activities. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, that'll help as well. Yeah. So my Gary Peters analysis model guy, model uh, guy. Might, might still stand. He's only 30. There's still time on his side. Yeah. Let me evaluate the mo- – listen, when I get my GM job within the next two years, we'll, we'll check in on Gary. So this was the worst uh, – or the, the largest road win in Dallas Cowboys history. And, you know, Dallas has had some pretty good teams over the years. It's also the worst home loss in Vikings history since 1963. Yeah. They came into existence in 61. There's also all sorts of stats for teams that are – you know, had one loss this late in the year, losing this bad. Like, there's yeah, a lot of stuff. I mean, in obviously, there. but like, just overall, it's the largest road victory that the Cowboys have ever had, and the largest defeat that the Vikings have ever had at home since the 19, the early 1960s. Yeah, you were watching history. You were watching history. I forget who they had said it was. The Cowboys' running back coach described uh, Zeke Elliott as the sledgehammer, yeah. but Tony Pollard as a sword. Something like that. Okay. It was interesting, Tony but Romo... Zeke did good around the goal line. Yeah. Tony Romo actually came down on the side of... Pollard's <laughs> too small. No. He, I expect him to give the sort of standard, well, look, Tony Pollard's doing great, but Zeke Elliott is the guy that needs to be the engine to blah, blah, blah. The same crap everyone else comes out with, right? But Romo was like, look, everyone gets caught up in starting and who starts and all. What we're really talking about is who gets the bulk of the workload. And, yeah, it's great when Pollard is doing his thing, uh, but and Zeke Elliott is... is great down by the goal line the you know the hammer stuff blah blah but he's like but but maybe it would be even more efficient if tony pollard was getting the bulk of the work and then zeke comes in as the hammer when the defense is already like tired of getting gashed for 50 yards again yeah "Yeah, that's actually the right way of looking at this it's not zeke should never get another carry for dallas it's what if we just split the work so that the better running back was getting more touches yeah 
I think I think Dallas might be fine in there. You know, they're split properly. Cowboys move to seven and three. Vikings fall to eight and two. All right, Sunday Night Football, Kansas City Chiefs 30, Chargers 27. Another epic game between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Mahomes, Herbert, always exciting games here. Started out early with uh, Herbert hitting the 50-yard touchdown. They Charles really Palmer. came out firing. They did, and they needed to, right? We always, we always talk about that, but there's also a point where they punt on fourth and inches. They became cowardly. I mean, it's one of those games, right? When you're watching the game, it's like, all right, how's this team going to beat the Chiefs? And it's a lot of things have to go right for the Chargers. And this end of the half was looking great for the Chargers, right? They score a touchdown. Then the Chiefs go three and out. Then the Chargers get the ball back. And they're getting the ball after the half. Like, they had a chance to really go up. They kick a field goal to go up a score before the half. It all didn't matter, though. Um, After they punted on fourth and inches, too, right? This is like that fine line. You're like, all right, we're going to pull this off, right? You're going to beat the Chiefs. You get the Chiefs, you punt, and the Chiefs have third and 17. And Mahomes just, you know, whips one in for 18. What was the, uh, what was the cowardly punt index thing on those, the, the Chargers thing? Because remember, last year, Brandon Staley was taking no end of crap for always going for it in fourth down. And now in this game, you're up by four. He's been conservative this There's year. There's five minutes left in the third quarter. It's fourth and one from it's your fourth own. fourth and inch. I mean, it yeah, was yeah. So fourth close. and really short from your own 34-yard line, which is right in that kind of zone of, you know, this isn't, like, this is definitely a go-for-it situation, particularly when you're facing the Chiefs. And he punts it. And the other thing is... And they'd snuck a ton with Herbert already. And it's never been easier to sneak because for some reason it's taken 125 years or whatever to unlock the idea that you can just latch on with a mall and drive the quarterback over. Like... It's almost impossible now to stop the short yardage rugby mall of driving the quarterback over the line for a sneak. As long as that's the situation, I don't understand why it's a decision anymore. I mean, fourth and inches, it's a, it should be automatic. Like, this is an unstoppable play for a yard. So why are we even thinking about this? Go, go for it. And they didn't. No, they punted it away and... The Chiefs scored a touchdown on that drive. So all of a sudden, you went from being four points up to being three points down. So that, and so that's the point of keep the ball away from the Chiefs. On the following drive, Mahomes goes three for three for 74 yards on third down, right? It's like the Chargers did a good job, did a good job. It is amazing how much the Chiefs just transform into, like, unstoppable force on third down. And they were, they were third and 17 third and seven like these were significant third downs you have to, that's the problem with stopping a team like the chiefs is you have to have you have to do it so many times you know because you got to you got to get them into third and 17 in the first place then you have to stop something freaky happening from mahomes to kelsey or mahomes to somebody else on third and 17 to stop them converting and doing it all over again that particular drive ended with kelsey with a touchdown on a drag route uh, you know on a crosser where he just man he just he feels like he plays at a four three speed. Kelsey has the same thing as everybody. as Mahomes does, which is his forty time is a split second faster than whoever's chasing him, regardless <laughs> of who it is. <laughs> they were the same thing. That is Mahomes running. And then you add on top line. of that the ability that Kelsey has to make moves and to also stiff arm guys. Like 
you know, Nasir Adderley missed a tackle on him that was a perfectly routine tackle, just fell off it. Like, his ability to run after the catch is crazy in addition to his ability to run routes and his ability to run faster than everybody. I think what Kelsey does really well is, you know, when you're chasing somebody, even if you're faster than them, it can be quite difficult to catch up if they don't run in a straight line, you know? Because every time they move, like every time they start curving in a direction, you have to then follow that, and you're always a split second later than they are because they know where they're going and you don't. Like That is what Kelsey does really well. He's always... Or he's very rarely running in simply a straight line that you can chase down. He's always curving, bending, moving in a different way, and you're always trying to try and catch up and match whatever movement he's making. He's just got great feel for the game. I mean, in the you know the Chiefs' offense, again they because the expectations are so high. I mean, they hit lulls in the middle of the game, but they really move the ball effectively. It did look like they could run at ease because the Chargers' run defense is terrible. And ultimately, you've got uh, Isaiah Pacheco averaged over seven yards per carry. Um, Edward Solaire had a couple good carries early before he got hurt. But the Chiefs just kept passing and passing. There was one drive they did decide to run like crazy, but they did get stuffed on third and one, and they kicked a field goal. That was one where I thought, you know, Andy Reid felt a little conservative there. It's third and one. They lose a yard to go to fourth and two we've discussed this on the show before right don't coaches feel doesn't it feel different when you gain yardage to get to say fourth and two versus losing yardage yeah. to get to fourth and two it doesn't change the sheet hit my mic mm. it doesn't change the sheet it changes the mentality right you know if you just go into a drive like oh fourth and two is a go but it but it was after you were third and one and you get stuffed yeah you're like oh field goal team and that's what the Chiefs did. So that was a point that could have come back to bite with them. Um, and then later in the game, you have um, Keenan Allen, who made his return, made a few big plays in there. Keenan Allen fumbles. And then that seems like, all right, that's it for the Chargers. But Jarek McKinnon comes back and fumbles. Chargers get another shot. Chargers take the lead to go up by four. And then it's set up. Mahomes with about a minute 45 left, two timeouts, and... As any time Mahomes has these comeback attempts, I think everybody expects them to execute Kansas yeah. City, and, and they did. And they did. Troy Reader was incredible. In this Reader game. had the he had um, the force fumble on. Yeah, the force fumble, the so great the pass breakup, too. peanut punch, and that pass breakup where he had his hands like right between the receiver's arms. Even then, so you do the whole like play down the middle of the arms, force him to put his hands apart, and that generally creates a breakup. But even then, I think the receiver had it in one hand. And he kept raking down that arm yeah. and knocked it out completely. So great pass breakup and the peanut punch force fumble, like two of the most impactful plays in the game, didn't end up mattering. But, you know, great performance anyway for a guy that I don't think was supposed to be playing that much, but ended up being forced into action. I'll say this, too. It does. So the Chargers, they played man coverage, man. Like, especially, you know, down the stretch there. It was Derwin James on Travis Kelsey. What did you just do? I feel like you just the Chargers are you just jinxed them. That's it. Chargers are five and five. We have weeks of the season left. Yeah, and you just put the hex on the player. We haven't talked about him all year. We have. We just haven't used his name because you do that, you injure him. All right, fine. Cut it out. The yeah, player. You done it now. It's the out player. The, the player covering Travis Kelsey. Breaking news from Rap Sheet. <laughs> The player has tripped in his hotel room. All right. They put the player on him, right? Like, 
if the guy not wearing number three for the Chargers can't cover Travis Kelsey, yeah. there's not a person on the planet that can cover him. No. That's it. It's over. Except so, maybe Jalen Ramsey, who they get this week. Yeah. The Chris on the broadcast was saying how their sort of strategy for trying to cover him was to just throw a lot of different people at him and hope that the uncertainty of like the different body types who were trying to cover him would have some sort of effect above and beyond simply the players doing it. I, I mean, okay, <laughs> I, I work on the basis that generally he's fairly unstoppable. And the problem being, if you put a linebacker on him, he's too fast, too quick, that doesn't work. If you put a corner on him, he's just too big a body, that doesn't work either, so you're kind of screwed. The Chargers are one of the very few teams in the NFL that have somebody at least physically in the ballpark of being able to do it with the player. As you said, the Rams have Jalen Ramsey. That's a similar deal as well. I don't see a possible scenario where you benefit from saying, okay, now we've had the player on him for a while. Let's put a Sante Samuel Jr. on him. That'll really shake him up. Yeah, that doesn't work. He'll he'll be confused by that and just not make a play. Okay, but surely the player's just better equipped to do it than a Sante Samuel Jr. Um, And by the way, I mean, look, Mahomes is awesome and all that stuff. And He's, Asante Samuel, by the way, was like inches from making a pass breakup on, on that play. But that's play. the thing. Everybody's like I know half an inch away, and it's like, nope, Kelsey's got the step. But I feel like you either go into a game and say, okay, look, we have a guy that's actually capable of doing this. Let's trust him and give him that one-on-one assignment all game long. Or you say, that guy, the player, is, is going to be blitzing every single play and just hope the ball doesn't make it to Travis Kelsey. Like that would be the other solution is overload with the player blitzing who by the way was it pacheco the absolutely uh, ran right through abuse yeah. on a blitz um just have send him every play to bracket travis kelsey coming off the line and say put the ball somewhere else i don't even care where like make sky Moore rack up 12 catches to win this game that's what like isn't that what belichick would do whatever's happening kelsey's not going to beat us five plays for you know these touchdowns go somewhere else and it's Mahomes, so we probably will I'm not saying this will work, but at least make them go to plan B. No, you'd rather have. But but again, this is where the Chiefs say what you want. Look, Mahomes is fantastic. I always have to preface this. He's great. But you get Sky Moore stepping up and Justin Watson stepping up. Mahomes was overall pretty accurate. He throws an absolute dime to Fortson up the seam, which was incredible. And I'd also be a lot. Just make those guys beat you. I'd also be a lot more inclined to make them go to plan B when, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster is out. Right. So you. Plan B is already Plan C, you know. So you're not you're forcing them to go from Plan A to Plan C without having to do anything more complicated. Just take away the thing they want to do most. It's you've got to overload to do it. You've got to, you know, compromise yourself in other places. But it has to be better than just watching that guy destroy you. The other key play, third and four, um, it was the player with the holding penalty. Mahomes overthrows a pass to make it fourth and four. So the Chargers should have been one play away from victory, but the player picks up a defensive holding. It's an automatic first down. Next three plays, Mahomes hits Sky Moore for 13, scrambles for 16, and then hits Kelsey with the game winner, the 17-yard. That crosser. What did you make of that holding call? Uh, I feel like technically it's a hold. You know, He mm-hmm. tugged at his shoulder, but it's how often do you see that? It's not just how often you see it. It's also like in that in that situation is that really when you want to start <laughs> calling those ones it's like yeah technically it's holding it is a penalty those are the ones though but like that's the that's the penalty you really don't like you hear all the time about they don't want to make 
like the, they don't want the officials determining the game, you know, or making that kind of like in that situation, that really is making that call determine the game. Like you can't, I don't think yeah. you can call that. Especially when Mahomes overthrows the pass and it's going to be, it's about to be fourth and four. Now, granted, Kansas City still probably converts fourth and four, but you get it to the, the game's going to be down to one play. Yeah. Much like the Super Bowl, right? The Rams and the Bengals last year. Um, but that, that was also the play. I know we talked a lot about the way the Titans played the Chiefs a few weeks ago, played them tough and physical and all that stuff. And they did make life difficult for the Chiefs offense for a period of time. But the Titans had like five or six illegal contacts and holdings. Like they specifically tried yeah. to be physical and they did give up a whole bunch of first downs doing that. But they said the whole like, hey, don't call it every single time. And you won't. Refs happen to call this one. So, man, Chiefs are good. They moved to eight and two. Chargers, you got Mike Williams back. He makes one catch out again with the ankle injury. You mentioned Keenan Allen making his return. He had the fumble, but came back with a big 50-yarder or so to, uh, to put the Chargers back into range. But Herbert ends up ending the game, forcing one into coverage, interception. They had no timeouts left, and they didn't have much of a chance at that point. But um, good win by the Chiefs. Yeah. Their defense. And the Chargers have really struggled in the second half, too. And I don't know if it's part of the conservatism or or what it is. They, had, they weren't throwing the ball down the field at all in the second half. This is what happened against the Niners last year. It's like, oh, they're opening it up. They're going to stretch the field. And they do it for the first half, and that's it. So Chargers have to find a way to uh, play the full four quarters. I think a big part of that is losing Mike Williams. Like, he, he changes the dynamic of where True. coverages have to go because of that. The, the vertical threat that he brings every single play. You don't have him in the lineup. There isn't really an obvious analog to that. I think that really, like as much as Keenan Allen's a great receiver and, you know, they're, they're sort of primary target, the Mike Williams absence changes the way the offense functions. It takes away the plays that everybody's begging for in this offense. Yeah, classic Chargers, right? Start the game off great and then everybody starts getting hurt again. All right, that's it. Week 11 in the books, minus uh, Niners Cardinals tonight in Mexico. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Remember, programming note this week, just one other PFF NFL podcast. Our preview show will be on Wednesday. We're going to be live here on YouTube, 9 a.m. Eastern. So there won't be the extra show this week. We'll just preview all the games on Wednesday because it's Turkey Week. Turkey, Turkey Day week. Thursday. Do anything fun? Talk about Thanksgiving Wednesday. Okay. We'll get all your plans and everything. Mm. Sound good? Sure. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you guys again on Wednesday.